Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terrilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Caitlin here and I'm going to start us off with our face palms and high fives and mine is a face palm so can we just commiserate here just a little bit yes <laughs> on sick kids oh. and sleep it's not fun yeah and it's rough I feel like I'm just at the beginning of this and I mean just because I'm you know two years in, I guess almost three years and anyway last night was a particularly hard one it was weird because the baby always wakes up at least once to feed, which is fine. I don't, I, that actually isn't even, like, that's part of my... Give him a pass on that. I'm, I'm done with that. Yeah, like, I'm okay with that. But then Emmett also, so it was, like, by the time I laid the baby back down, Emmett, like, woke up, uh, like, 20 minutes after that. And Cam usually does Emmett. Like, he usually works with him at night. But at the same time, he was really out, and he actually stayed awake for, like, a while. Because then every, like, 30 minutes, I would hear him kind of, like... So then I was like, does he have a fever? Like, what is going on? Is he sick? And I finally went and checked on him because I'm like, he doesn't normally do this, but he was fine. And he was just like, can you nuggle me? And then it's hard because I'm like, well, I do want to, but I'm also getting up in an hour for recording. But also no. But also no. <laughs> and I also like, got another kid who wants to nuggle. So, I mean. <laughs> and he's going to nurse. Like, I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, now he, we've made it this far that, like, I need to nurse him mm-hmm. before I leave for the podcast. So then it was like this foreboding, like, I'm like. I'm never going to sleep. And I just, (laughs) it was painful. But me and Cam, I like went back to bed and I like held his hand and we were like, it's okay. We're in this together. (laughs) We're going to be okay. Anyway, we both were like, this has been a little harder night, but I'm just so grateful that that I have you to do this with. Because anyway, so a little bit of a face palm there, but I also get it. But yeah, it's hard. Kids and sleeping. And it really, sorry, there's no hope for your future. Wish I could <laughs> offer you hope, but that is a really cute image, though. You and Cam just holding hands, it's fine, it's fine. We all can right, do it. it's okay. <laughs> just talking ourselves, like speaking of manifesting, <laughs> doesn't it feel like in the dead of night everything is just more desperate? I didn't feel this as much last oh, night, but yes. there are certain things that have happened in the middle of the night, and then also in the next morning, I'm like, oh, like we made it, it wasn't that bad, but anyway. Oh. Yes, everything seems dire and it, and dark because it is. <laughs> but you're like, am I ever gonna feel rested again? Am I ever gonna feel hope again? Yeah, I mean, yeah, no. <laughs> and I'm, then the dawn like comes it. and it's okay. <laughs> so for anybody who's listening and feeling that, just know you're I am model. there, and I think we've all been there. At some <laughs> oh. point, so. Yes. Oh, that's I I commiserate fully with you. <laughs> Thank you. Give you empathy. Thank We're you. with you. Thank yeah, you. that's hard. I remember there were times when I had babies. I mean, it still happens sometimes, but not nearly as much. Where, I mean, I remember it'd be around, like, 4 in the morning, and I remember thinking, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through this day. Like, with how I'm feeling right now, I'm so tired. There's no prospect of rest until tomorrow night, which also isn't a guarantee. And it's just this hopeless feeling of, like, (laughs) how am I going to make it through the day? And it sounds very dramatic. And I remember sometimes I've actually made myself laugh, like... I can't, I can't make it through the day. And then you do, and it's fine. But, I mean, yeah, it, at night, it feels like Oof. I need to have a full-blown soap opera about this feeling right now because yeah. it's hard. And I have to send a note to those of you. We have one episode on infant sleep. 
Oh, yeah. And it mm-hmm. was a rabbit hole spiral. Because, here's the thing, there's so... <laughs> it was. It was. We started almost arguing with our guests. <laughs> yes. Not arguing, but yeah, we were, yeah, we were pushing back. Yeah. But there's so many different... Methods? Infant sleep theories. And I definitely fall on the side of protecting my sleep and my self-care so I can be better for them, right? And myself. And there's a book we're reading. It's called 4,000 Weeks. And it's funny because he actually touches on this topic a little bit because it's so (laughs) prevalent for parents to feel this, like, desperation. And it's very interesting. He talks about how, um, like, the studies that argue on either side of this conversation actually aren't valid at all. And you guys should just listen to it if you're interested in this or I'll share some of it. But it just like nudges me to give you guys a reminder to, you know, don't feel guilted into one way or any way of yeah. like mm-hmm. your kids sleep. Mm-hmm. Like it's so easy to feel It's that. so easy to feel that. Like I'm feeling one yeah. way or I'm being too strict or whatever. Right. Like there's a, a harmony that like works with your family yeah. and like don't feel guilty. <laughs> and with that, I want to add, because I think if there's one thing that I have learned in the few years that I've been a mom is that like kids aren't robots either. So it's like you read books and this goes for anything. You read books and then you take what really resonates with you and how you parent. And like, I think with specific things like sleep or potty training or whatever those specific things are, mm-hmm. you also got to go with like what works with your kid's personality because every kid is yep. different. And so like, Anyway, so that's another thing with that, is that it's like, it's going to feel a little yeah. different with everybody. And we actually have an episode, I will post it, that is literally about how to take all the bajillion loads of information and is- distill it so that it aligns with you. what works with you. And you yeah, can use family. it without yeah. being riddled with guilt for not doing everything that every book ever tells you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I will post that episode, too. Uh, so my facepalm this week is, <laughs> it's a listening facepalm. So... I try really hard to be a good listener, and my goal, honestly, one of my top priorities in my life is to when I'm with a person, I want to be present with that person and listening actively. And I will say that you are really good at that, just as a side note. Okay. Well, thank you, Kayla. As are you. As are both of you. I'm surrounded by really good listeners. Well, I was with um, a therapist this last week who was working on my muscles, doing a therapy called positional release therapy. And this therapist is fabulous. I mean, he's helped me so much. Well, he was telling a story. I don't know what was happening. I don't know if I was a little sleep deprived. I don't know if I just got really relaxed. Mm-hmm. But I was face down. And he was telling, the reason why I'm, this is a big deal, because he was telling a really, really, like, emotional story about loss and grief. And guys, I was, I knew I was losing consciousness, but I couldn't stop it. I felt like I was underwater and like his voice would get all fuzzy and I'd be like dip down and be like, come back up, come back up, come back up. (laughs) And I was trying so hard. I mean, like my eyes were like, I was seriously passing out. And at one point, so the worst part, it turned out okay. But the worst part was he said something and then he paused. Like I was supposed to respond and I came back up. I felt like I was like being pulled out of like this deep, dark ocean. (laughs) I came back up to realize there's a pause here. I need to respond, but I didn't know what he had just said, but I knew he was talking about losing. I mean, losing, like, actual death. Like, it was, like, a big topic. an animal? An animal. But, like, but an animal that, like, (laughs) saved his life several times. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't just a regular animal. (laughs) How did you know it was an animal? I was the guy. (laughs) I know. We needed to clarify. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, his dog, but who had saved his life. Like, I mean, like, they have, like... Well, not that dogs are any of them. Dogs. <laughs> it's just a little different. Yeah, yeah, not a human. A dog. Anyway, but you know what I mean? Like, it was, like, a really huge thing of grief in his life. And he came up, like, I came to awareness with this gap. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't know what to say. And apparently it was the appropriate response because he kept talking. And I was like... I was, like, sweating. Like, I didn't even hear what he said. I'm pretending like I'm a fraud. I can't even listen. Like, I, I, I can't even I, look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that was my face palm is I could not stay conscious. And, I mean, it was a good thing. Like, it was in a healing space, and I was really relaxed. But, I mean, I can't think of the last time that's happened where somebody, I mean, like, like I mean, I didn't even hear a word. Like, it wasn't even there. And it was almost painful because it really was, like, come back up, come back up, come back up. I'm supposed to be awake. Anyway. Oh, and oh, wow, funny. was the right response in that Can situation. Can I just say, so. wow, not that I am condoning not listening, but I, on my mission, I had to, cert, like, I was speak, learning to speak Spanish. And obviously, when you're learning a language, you don't totally know everything that everybody's saying. So you kind of have to, like, improvise. <laughs> but a solid answer most of the time is, Wow, because it can go a lot of directions. Yeah, it can be positive, <laughs> so negative. Like, yeah, uh-huh. if somebody tells a negative story, wow. If someone tells a positive story, wow. It's like, it really can yeah. go with anything. Not that I'm condoning, not listening, no. but wow is a good response. With, with kids. kids. Oh. <laughs> but, like, honestly, I don't care about the Minecraft griefer Lego set that you just exploded. I don't even care. So sometimes it's just like... Wow. <laughs> it works so good. And, and it's, like, legitimate because you're literally thinking, yeah. wow, wow, I can't believe that that's what I just heard. <laughs> it's authentic. <laughs> it's authentic. It's yeah. a good one. I can't yeah. believe we just spent ten minutes talking about the way a paper is folded or something. I mean, you know? honestly. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. I so I have a facepalm also. Triple face palm. We need a button for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Rick, yeah, where are you? <laughs> triple face palm. <laughs> With the despair noise. So, today is Wednesday, March 16th. <laughs> I just spent the morning putting food dye in milk, <laughs> green food dye in milk, and toilets. <laughs> Held my pee all the way to record this episode because I didn't want to mess up the tint of the green. It's not St. Patrick's Day today. <laughs> Yeah, she walks in and says, oh, I have to pee so bad because I couldn't pee at my house. And I'm like, wait, tomorrow's St. Pat's. <laughs> so I'm not Irish at all in any sense. I, I'm actually really not, and I felt. And we just did a whole episode on traditions. <laughs> well, you know what? Your kids don't know it's the 16th or the 17th. I They're know. just going to enjoy it. So, so I'm going to tell him, they just, the can- leprechaun is here. You just need to trap him by tomorrow. So yeah. Yeah. we're just going to extend it a yeah. tip. St. Patrick's Day Eve. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. Oh, guys. <laughs> it's a season. It's yeah. a season. Uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have that tendency. I either, like, fell completely at mm, lots of holidays, or it's like I do it, but it's, like, too early or not lined up the right way. I've got to, like, really... Or you just mm. embrace that you're an imperfect parent, like we always say, and failure is... Yes. Fabulous. Yes. Can I just add, I know we're not, quad- I'm going to quadruple face palm this, but as you were talking about that, I just need to admit here that my Valentine's decorations are still up tomorrow, St. Patrick's Day, and I never even put them up. So. <laughs> I St. Patty's Day? I actually don't have St. Patty's Day decorations. I don't either. I'd oh. like some. Though. I do. I like the too. That'd be cute. I do. Rainbows. They're yeah. throughout my house. I mean, they're simple. They take five minutes. There's literally no reason why I should not have put them up at this point. But I have probably five items. They're cute. They're green. 
And but I mean, I've checked my front door. It's still Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Like you drive past my house it. and you're like, oh, that girl's a month behind. <laughs> right. You know, love my neighbors. Love. I'm just sending love out love. to yeah. everybody. Yeah, just keep that up all year. I like it. Yep. Uh huh. Okay. Well, great. All right. Quadruple Facetime. <laughs> On to inspiring conversation. Yes. Okay. So, two episodes ago, we talked about the book Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock, and the main concept in her book is the practice of rain which is a mindfulness meditation um, practice of recognizing our emotions. So it's an acronym. R is recognizing our emotions. A is accepting them. I is investigating them. And N is nurturing them. And as we were working through this acronym and teasing it out with our own lives and in our own practices, we realized that the N, nurturing, or Tarbrock also refers to it as non-identification. But that step is like a whole world in and of itself that mm-hmm. we felt is like slightly, we just felt like we need to expand on this one part of the acronym. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give a little more focus on the nurturing step today. And we really wrestled with this because we were finding a contradiction inside this part of it for us between okay, we're accepting, we're investigating, we're leaning into our emotions. But then there's this whole part of us that knows the power of positive thinking and manifestation and, you know, affirming what you want your future self to be. And for a minute, they conflicted, but we came full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We think we've come to a place that we, we know how they fit together, or we're exploring that yes. today, really. Yes. And for me, so the last one that we talked about, I'm going to tell you the title of it. It's called, of our episode that we talked about the first section of this. So if you want to listen to them together, and I'll also link this episode, but it's called Escaping the Trance of Unworthiness and Finding Self-Acceptance Within. And I'd probably listen to that one first. Yeah. Come back here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because we talked about the first, the, yeah, the recognizing, the accepting, and the investigating of our feelings. But the, the problem here, well, not the problem, but the kind of pickle is, do you, if you lean in, you recognize your emotion, you accept it, you investigate it. So you're, you know, you're like really diving deep and it feels, we've talked about this a lot. When you do this with emotions, it feels sometimes to me, either like I'm drowning or falling off a cliff. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, the closest metaphor I can think of when it's a really hard feeling. I mean, that's how it feels. Like I'm like, Ooh, wow, that one is ouchy. And I kind of have a falling sensation. But the beautiful thing is, is once you feel it, then it does allow you to process it. But but the thing we're wrestling with is, so then how do you just not stay there? How do you not lean into it and then you're just like hanging out down in this like depressed land of, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of shame right now and I'm just beating myself up and you're just circling, circling, circling. But with the idea with that last letter, which is nurture, the idea is here, I do feel like you're opening, it's almost like you're opening up a gate into a whole nother world. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Caitlin. <laughs> we were talking about, you know, freeing, if you're a crab in a cage, <laughs> a freeing yourself from the cage. Quite as beautiful of a metaphor, <laughs> but it was really working for and me. Then I, and then I, it just makes me think of The Greatest Showman. Like, we know how to make the key, right? And now I'm wanting to sing to you guys, but I'm going to refrain. <laughs> but, but just imagine, like, this whole, the beautiful thing about this step of nurturing is to me it is the freeing step. I mean, we feel it. We, we go down. It might feel constrictive. It might feel all these things. And then the nurturing step is the freeing part. The crab from the cage. 
I could have picked any animal. Why did I choose that? Because okay. the waves of the ocean. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we've yeah. got an ocean thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> and they're at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. And when you open up the cage, you can, like, float. Yes. <laughs> Weightlessly, yeah. not walking out of the cage, floating out. Floating out. <laughs> yep, I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep, I like it. So anyway, this whole nurturing thing is—it's really this opening feeling. And so, the the wrestle here is how do you know that you've processed it, right? How do we know that we are actually to a place where we can nurture? And how does that actually go along with manifesting? And again, we're going to really explore that. But I just want to kind of point out that to me, it feels like a dive. And then, like, you're rising. And how do we know that we've, we've processed it enough? And how do you know even where you're at? Because we all have different tendencies, right? I think my tendency is, for a lot of things, I think I'd rather just skip the processing part and just go straight to um, the kind of affirmations that feel like lies, you know? Because affirmations are really powerful when, when they don't feel like lies. When they feel like there's a piece of them that ring true that you're really attracting, you know, like, you know, I enjoy my life. I can, I can pull out a lot of truth out of that. So it resonates with me. But if I'm like, mm, I'm six feet tall, which is not an affirmation of mine. But if it was, like it would feel to me like, well, that's not even, that's not even true. But I think a lot of times we do that with affirmation. We choose something that's so far away because we're thinking, I got to positively think. I got to think positively. And then it just feels like this lie to us. So for me, it's kind of finding this place of, because I know my tendency is that, though. My tendency is to be like, yeah, everything's fine. It's mm-hmm. fine. Like, I'm, I'm just, I just want to be happy. I'm over that. I did my 10 seconds of feeling it. I think I'm good. But then what I find is the same patterns end up coming up in my relationships, right? I experience something similar, and I'm triggered by the exact same feelings, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't really process that one because it's still there just as strong. But I think other people might have the opposite tendency, right? Maybe it is to, yeah, you go down and you feel it, but then you just stay there and you're living in this place that's really, really hard. So I think the reason why I'm saying that is as we're speaking today, maybe think where, where are you on that spectrum? And it might be different in different situations. Like with circumstances, I know that I have a tendency to just like gloss over and be like, it's fine. It's all good. I mean, even I find, I want to say it to my kids all the time where I'm like, okay, we're done. We're done with this. It's not a big deal. Move on. Like that, I know that's my tendency, but I also know in my relationships, I have the opposite tendency. Like I just add stuff to the resentment pile mm-hmm. because yeah, I don't want to deal with it. But I guess that actually is the same thing. Never mind. Maybe I'm not trying to cover it up with positives, but I'm not. I'm not diving into the feeling of I'd rather just not. <laughs> I'd rather just not feel it. Yeah, just, just and just let resentment yeah. build instead, which is not healthy. Right. So I guess either way, my side of the spectrum is I think I'd rather just not lean into it. But I know it's important, and so that's why I do actually set aside time in my day to lean into stuff, but I know my tendency is not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have had, I feel like we all kind of resonate with this. We, we've had a few, well, quite a few listener questions about this, and that's why we wanted to go into it, because some of them that I think any one of us have felt at some point something along these lines. So a few of the things that people kind of brought up with having a hard time processing them and then moving moving kind of past them. Um, So one of those is being able to let go of something without addressing it with that person or calling it out, which, because sometimes, like, you know, it is helpful for us to be able to talk it out with somebody, and that helps us be able to process something, but sometimes that's not possible, whether because that person's maybe passed away or, like, it just literally is not a good idea for us to talk it out with them. Like, how are we able to then process something and move past it? Um, Mm -hmm. Another one is... Um, what about a grudge between your spouse and a parent that you can't seem to fix? 
that can be really hard when it's like maybe it's a conflict between people, loved ones in your life that maybe doesn't necessarily involve you in that conflict, but it is affecting you. Like, that's mm -hmm. hard. How do you deal with those emotions when mm -hmm. it's kind of out of your control because it's between these two people? Yeah. You know, that's tough. Where you can't just solve it yourself. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Um, and, like, another one is of family members with a toxic dynamic who are unwilling and unable to see your perspective. So that's a hard thing when you've mm. tried to work it out with somebody and it's just not going to go anywhere. So I think all of us have experienced one or all of these to varying degrees. And it's hard to know, it's hard to be able to process some of these emotions and move past it because sometimes those situations are ongoing things. They don't just go away even after we've processed it. So we might even have to deal with some of those things again. But um, I like what we're going to kind of talk about is, number one, how to see, how to go through recognizing, accepting, investigating, and then also realize when you're ready to then move on to the nurturing. So at least for me, when I think about when I'm kind of in a in this, like telling myself a story, I'm going around and around and around in a story. And that's how I know that I haven't really processed it all the way because I keep, I keep like cycling it. Even yeah. if it's like time has gone by, mm -hmm. I'm still like, oh, like I keep going through it. So one example of this was actually just yesterday. I had a doctor appointment for one of my boys. It was just like a checkup. And I'll try to tell this briefly, but I it was one of those things where... <laughs> I was just, like, so bugged about what had happened because I have waited for, like, over an hour at this doctor appointment before. Oh. So I had called beforehand because I had a sleeping baby. I didn't want to wake up the baby to go if I was going to wait an hour there. So I called, like, a half hour before, and I was like, hey, you know, can I, like, are you guys running behind? If so, then I'll just come a little bit later rather than coming. They're like, we actually are running a little behind, not an hour, but we're running a little behind. So I'm like, okay, great. Like, I'm just going to show up 15 minutes late. I did show up 15 minutes late. And then when I got there, they said, anyway, it was this whole thing. They said, they were like, oh, well, we only hold it for 10 minutes. And <gasps> then they're like, you're kind of past your grace. And I have packed up Emmett and my baby to come to this thing. <gasps> I was so bothered. So then I was like, and I told them, I'm like, well, I, and I was being calm. I was like, I actually like called before and this is what they told me and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah, like we'll reach out to the doctor and see. Anyway, they reach out to the doctor and they're like, well, the 320 appointment already came, so they're like, you if you can still do it, but you'll have to wait an hour. I'm like, that's literally what I was trying to avoid was waiting an hour here. Like, oh I don't want to wait an hour at the doctor's office. Oh, my gosh. So then, so anyway, so this whole thing happened. I ended up rescheduling. I was very bothered, to say the least. Like, I got in my car, and I was, like, fuming, mm. like, literally fuming. Like, I was trying not to, like, yell because I had my kids in my car, like, just scream at the world. Like, I was like, ah! like oh. I was so frustrated. I was like like growling to myself to try to let out. And I thought about, because Eckhart totally tells a story about some, <laughs> he tells a story about some ducks and they get in like an altercation. Yeah. And then when they're done, they just ruffle their feathers and they move on. And he talks about that, like how sometimes we need to like do the equivalent of ruffling our feathers to like let out that energy and move on. So I was like, I just need to like ruffle and like move on with it. But I was like, I was feeling bugged for like mm. two hours after. And I knew that it was in my head. Like I was like, I need to let this go. Cause I don't want to let this keep offending, like affecting mm. me into the night. Mm -hmm. So this is like one example where I realized that I needed to like actually sit down and like process it because it, I, it was, it was like affecting my life. Like it was mm. bothering me so badly. Um, and that I needed to like ruffle my feathers, get it out. But that was one way of like seeing that I was spiraling in this story even long after it had happened. And finally, like once I took this, like took the time to sit down and like think about, I think I talked it out with Cam, which did help me <laughs> just to like process it. Cause it was like, I just need to get this out and then I could move past it. But until I could just like accept it, investigate it, move through it, I couldn't 
I couldn't really move past. So that was like one mm. example. Of like, if you see yourself continuing to spiral in that story, that's one example of you're not quite ready to to move on until you've gone through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tara Brock has this beautiful quote in her this book, Radical Acceptance. But she says, "Perhaps the biggest tragedy of our lives is that freedom is possible, yet we can pass our years trapped in the same old patterns. We may want to love other people without holding back, to feel authentic." to breathe in the beauty around us, to dance and sing, yet each day we listen to the inner voices that keep our life small. And so to your point of the spiral, mm-hmm. or to Terrilyn's mm-hmm. point, uh, when we're on the other side, and for me this often feels like if I'm trying to replace before I have really allowed, investigated, nurtured, then I'm, I often feel like I'm trying to keep myself busy, Maybe I'm like slightly emotionally reactive, so I get mad easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it can. It just feels like uh, Tarbrock says it feels more charged. Mm-hmm. So you're not yeah. feeling peaceful. Yeah. It's like anxiety, blame, anger, um, and so it's that question of before we can nurture and become non-identified, like when can we do that? So when are we ready for that step? And so she says, oftentimes we're either where our awareness is blocked, so that's like numbing, or we might have a premature transcendence is the term that she uses. So we're in that avoiding of the feeling space and we might think we have awareness. Our mind is like, oh, I'm aware. Like I felt that feeling. Yeah. I'm through it. (laughs) But it's disembodied. That's the word that she uses. And I think that's, that's for me probably the side that I lean to and I think our culture slightly encourages uh, um, accentuates that because we can easily numb out and replace with other mm-hmm. stuff yeah um, and it's fast everything fast. in our culture is fast yeah fast food fast processing yeah move you know what I mean like fast 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 so the idea of moving past emotion in two seconds Sounds very appealing to us. Right. right. Like we don't, like we're weak if we're sitting there and like wallowing in it or making it a big deal. Or I know for women, it's like hysterical, like you need to get over it. Like let's, you know, be strong, whatever. So the the question, what, like when are we wallowing? When are we numbing? Like how, what to attend to and when? Um, Tar Brock says, if the waves are really strong, so we're the ocean, all these thoughts and feelings are the waves. Mm-hmm. And we can't move to that place where we can see ourselves as the expansive ocean if these waves are just so strong and like keep knocking us down. So if they're feeling really charged, if the waves are really, really strong, it's probably a sign that you need to sit with them a little bit more. Um, but also, I think there's an element of reflection we can look back on past circumstance and realize, you know, this situation might be coming up and charging me again, but I have, like, each time you work through it, you're going to find a place of more acceptance. Yeah. So Where it has less power yeah. kind of over you. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it's, like, giving that forgiveness of, like, even though this situation where my husband and my mom are fighting, this is not a real situation, but... <laughs> Even though I'm like, oh, I'll fresh it again, or the doctor's office. Last time this happened, I was mad for 48 hours. So, like, give yourself a little bit of grace as you're recognizing how charged the waves are mm-hmm. as well. Like, don't beat yourself up. 
mm-hmm. when they come back up again. Yeah. Kian, I love your example because it's such a good example of when we have really big emotions that are not processed, how it does affect everything else. Mm-hmm. It affects the way you react when Cheerio, Cheerios are spilled. You know what right. I mean? Oh, the totally. way you feel on the inside. It's like I, As you were describing that, I was like, I can feel it. Like yeah. I can feel it inside of me just imagining it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really glad you mentioned that because, I mean, it, ju- it does. It just affects every aspect. Something I want to know about that time thing that Felicia just said. I mean, sometimes when we're talking about processing emotions, we think, oh, maybe I just need, like, more time, time. And I just want to emphasize that with emotions. So there are certain things, for example, grief, that that is not something you can rush, right? Like, it's going to come in and it's going to come out. And it might last for a long, like, long, long period of time. But you're not feeling that grief every single second, right? It's, it's like waves, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're just paying attention to those waves. When it comes to just regular negative emotions... I do, and I've read enough research about it that, I mean, 90 seconds is a really good amount of time to really lean into emotion. So when we're talking about leaning into it, I'm not saying you have to lean into the feeling of shame for 24 hours straight. I'm saying you need to set aside, actually like go into a separate room and really feel it for a few minutes. Again, 90 seconds is the stuff I've read. For me, five minutes sometimes is great. You know what I mean? But it doesn't mean you have to just be like, I am going to feel this so yeah. strong as like a punishment for yourself. We can process it, but it's undistracted focus on that. So less about the time, more about the quality of attention. The quality, exactly. And like Caitlin said, sharing it with somebody who you love, who can listen to you, journaling it, whatever it is. But like, I am really feeling this and I want to process it. Just sitting with it and leaning into it, I love. So I'm going to give you an example of something that Tara talks about in her book that I've never even heard it explained like this. So... I'm going to present, it's the concept of wanting and kind of walk it through how, to me, it really clicked on how nurturing can look, okay? So she talks about the wanting self, and it's just fascinating to me. She said our entire lives, we are spent, we, we just want things, right? We want, and some of them are really good things, connection, love, enjoyment, right? We want those things. However, Oftentimes, we get programmed somewhere along the line that our wanting is shameful. So whether our needs are not being met, and then we automatically start associating it with, I want this, it's not going to happen, I don't have it. And this can be applied to anything, right? I mean, I know people who are my age, and as I've been you know, in a conversation, they'll say something like, I wanted to be at a different place than I am right now, and my life looks nothing like I want it to look, and all I feel is shame about it, right? I mean, I have one friend who she won't even, she has blocked herself from every contact she ever knew in, as a teenager because she's like, I don't want them to see who I am now. But just because, and she's a good person, but just because she, her life doesn't look like she was hoping it would look, right? So to her, she feels this, that her wanting is directly correlated now with shame. I want it, it's not happening, now I feel shame. And so people get to loathe their wanting self so badly. Like, it's like their enemy. Like, whether it's for food, some kind of addiction, whatever it is, they feel the wanting, they feel the shame. Wanting is shame, right? And so the problem with that, though, Tara talks about it. It's it's like this activated wanting self. That So in a relationship or any aspect of your life, you're wanting love and connection. But by shaming this feeling and like thinking, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. 
then the problem is no matter what your partner does or your friend or whatever, you can't even receive it mm -hmm. because you don't think that you're in a place that it's ever going to be either how you want or that you don't deserve it or that you're feeling shame. It's just a block. Mm -hmm. So people are offering you love, offering you connection, but you can't even see it or receive it because the wanting self is just like, all you can see is the wanting self. And it's like, I just don't like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that shame is just blocking you from receiving all the things that are actually beautiful desires, right? Mm -hmm. So love and connection and enjoyment are beautiful desires. But when we get locked into, I'm so frustrated with myself for wanting this, or it isn't how I want it to look, or it's not perfect or whatever it is, and you're feeling shame, then you just put up, it's like you put up this umbrella in front of you and it doesn't matter what anybody ever offers you, you're not going to receive it, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love how she talks about, and she, she actually has a whole section in her book about how to apply this to food when she's worked with people who, you know, they, then they feel bad. They, they want to overeat because they want to feel enjoyment. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel enjoyment, right? But they want it, and then they immediately feel shameful for wanting it. And that causes them to not actually taste their food mm -hmm. because they're just wanting it. And so she actually talks about how with that, and then it just is like the cycle, right? It's just this, like, the want actually becomes unmanageable. And, oh, she, there's this beautiful quote about how when... Wanting is so strong like that, everything else just gets muted out. Mindfulness gets muted out. Everything is just gone because all you can see is just the hugeness of this vacuum of want. And it leads to really unhealthy behaviors, right? So apply, literally take any addiction in the world and you can apply it to this, right? Mm -hmm. I want to escape this negative feeling. I want to not feel the shame. So what am I going to do? I'm going to turn to something that a part of my brain is saying is going to give me some temporary relief and then you do that thing, and then you just cycle back, but even deeper. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, now nah, I just feel worse. And then, so what does your brain say? Hey, there's that thing you tried. It helped you for a few minutes. Try it again, mm -hmm. right? And the same thing. It's just the cycle of shame. But this is where we come into the nurturing and the compassion. So in these situations, this wanting self that is not serving us when it gets overactive like that, right? because we can't receive when we're in a place where we're despising our own wanting self. She says that's where we turn to compassion. So yeah, you've recognized it, right? Like I am wanting this. It's not how it's not how my reality is not looking like I want it to look. Identifying what it is, you know, acknowledging it or it's accepting it, right? Investigating it. But then once you've done those things, that's where we can really turn to compassion. So to me, this example is magical to me because over and over, so you can do this with any emotion. You can do it with fear, but today I'm going to do it with wanting. So instead of saying, I'm so mad at myself for wanting that, you say, I care about, like you actually start, you look inside of yourself and you say, so again, this takes individual attention, right? Solitude to do this. You can't just like do this as you're talking to somebody else or even for me, even cooking dinner. <laughs> like, I mean, when it's this kind of stuff that's really strong, I, it's so powerful for me if I can actually just be by myself. And that's why... Another plug for morning solitude time. You can work through this stuff every day. You just do a little bit every day and it's fabulous. But you start, you start actually looking at it. So when you feel, and this, so this part can happen anytime, but you feel the want come up, the pull towards an addiction, lashing out on some, somebody you love, whatever it is, like the thing that you know isn't going to get you what you want. But you feel that wanting come up. You look inside of yourself and you say, I see you and I care. I care about this suffering over and over and over. I care about this suffering. I care about this suffering. 
and you just look inside of yourself and then you start naming it where you feel it. So I'm feeling a clenching in my stomach because I'm feeling hungry or whatever it is, or I'm feeling shame because I feel like I'm going to fail. I'm feeling unlovable because I don't feel like this person's ever really going to love me. Like you actually start just saying the painful thoughts. And as you say them, you say, I care about this painful story. I care. Like you just put the word I care in front of every thought that comes to your mind. Like I care about this suffering. I care that you're feeling this. So this is just you talking to yourself and saying it over and over and over. You start, the cool thing is, is you start to see yourself like you would see a child, right? You can even go back and be like, I can see how you felt this when you were seven. And picture, I care about the suffering. I care about the way you felt when you were seven. And you originally thought that you would never get the love you wanted, right? Mm -hmm. I care about that. So you're just exploring. So you've gone now past the, the recognition. It has to start there. You have to say, I'm feeling this in this area of my body. This is how it feels. It feels awful. But then the next step of saying, I care about this suffering over and over, something eventually, like for me, it feels like this softening feeling. Like you just start realizing mm -hmm. there's, I can have empathy for myself. And the cool thing about it, guys, is in the end, if we're going for, oftentimes our deepest longings are for love and connection and feeling enjoyment, which enjoyment is simply living in the present moment. And by giving yourself compassion, guess what? You get all three of those things. Isn't that so cool that you can actually find the source of those deepest things as you give it to yourself, right? Which, ironically, or beautifully, <clears throat> that's probably better, which beautifully then opens you up to be able to receive those things fully from others mm -hmm. without blocking them, right? So <clears throat> you give it to yourself. I care about your suffering. I care about your suffering. I see you. I see that pain you feel. I see that pain you felt before, whatever it is. But you just start actually talking to yourself. And then <clears throat> if, it's if it's involving somebody else, you say that same sentence in your mind towards that person. I see you. And they're not even there. It's so cool. Like this person's not. So those, listener, examples, those yeah. listener questions where sometimes it isn't something you might even be able to resolve with somebody mm -hmm. else, you say it in your mind to that other person. I care about your suffering. I'm sending you love. I, I, want, I want your happiness. Like you, and you actually start just saying yourself. You say those things. And to me, on these sentences, it's okay for me if it feels like a lie at first. Like we were talking about the affirmations. Mm -hmm. Because... For me, the, we have the capacity to care and to love always. So it isn't something that's like out of our reach. So saying it for me and actually imagine cultivating it in my heart helps. And she even says, if you're having a hard time doing that and it feels like such a lie that you're like, I can't even say to myself that I care about my own suffering. I mean, it feels so bad that you're almost recoiling from it because it feels like such a lie. She's like, you can go into that moment and think of somebody or something that you can easily feel it for. So it could be a pet. Pets are super neutral, right? They don't, we don't really build up baggage with our pets. Mm -hmm. They just love us unconditionally. It can be a baby. Babies are pretty lovely. Babies are great, you know. But if you're having, if you're, as you're saying that to yourself, you're like, I cannot even say this without it feeling so bad. I think it's so worth saying. But and a way to access that feeling is start with a baby or a pet. But in that same session, you think of that baby, that pet, you start feeling it, and you're like, oh, I can feel that. Mm -hmm. Okay, take that feeling. Now apply it to myself. Yes, I see you. I see your suffering. I want your happiness. I care about this suffering. And there's just something about beautiful about that mantra. I care about the suffering. It matters, right? Mm -hmm. All of us want to feel like we're cared for. 
So that's the kind of step is you look inside yourself. If you're having a hard time saying it, you start with something easier, like a baby or a pet, and then you move to yourself and you say, I care about this suffering, whatever you're feeling, whatever craving you're feeling, whatever wanting you're feeling. And then if it involves somebody else, then you move to the other person. So we're kind of here, I'm kind of combining loving kindness meditation, which is like the most powerful meditation I think in the world. And well, in my own experience, it's been the most powerful. Combining it with just applying this to our wanting self. And when I say wanting, I mean, I just talked about a bunch of addictions, but Tara talks about, I mean, productivity. She's like, I, her go-to was anytime I didn't feel worthy, I thought to myself, how can I get more done to prove my worthiness? Mm-hmm. And then she's like, and then I'd be frustrated because at the end of the day, I was just like running from one thing to the next, but it was get that article done, check this off, do that. I will prove that I am worthy. So when you feel that feeling of shame, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not feeling connected to people. And that is just your wanting self, right? It is just literally like this bottomless pit of need of like, I am not feeling validated. I'm not feeling anything. So what am I going to do? Plug in, get stuff done, be productive. So that might, that might be how it looks for you, right? It doesn't have to be food or shame or wallowing or any of those other things. It can be productivity as your numbing solution. But either way, it's still just your wanting self, wanting something from outside of yourself, but you're blocking it. Like you can't, mm-hmm. you can't receive from others when you're in that p- space of wanting. You have to give your wanting self actual compassion and recognize it. And she says over and over, being like, a, she, doesn't, she doesn't use the word enlightened, but being free isn't saying you never want anything, right? It's identifying what it is and being able to sit with it and give it compassion so you can receive, but not like a, I'm compelled, I'm craving, I gotta have this, and if I don't, then yeah. I'm lacking. Yeah. What I wanna like reiterate, cause I think what you're saying, cause at least the way I see it too, is with the, like that first part, the recognizing, accepting, investigating. Those are in my mind, kind of like neutral things that we can do. Like when we mm-hmm. feel any of those emotions, it's like, I'm just seeing it for what it, like I'm trying to see it for what it is, and I'm just, accepting it as I see it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not putting a good or a bad yeah. anything on it. And it I'm feels it. like this in my body. Yeah. Clenching. I'm seeing where I feel You're just observing it. Yeah. Literally being mindful of it. Whereas at least the way I am distinguishing it too is then when we finally move in, I think a way that we can fully feel like we have, you know, recognized, accepted, investigated it, and without staying there, like we've talked about, like sometimes we don't want to wallow using that word. Like sometimes we sometimes get stuck. But then I think a tool and one of the key things that you've just pointed out is then I see the nurturing part is this. It's more of like a then we're moving into a positive thing, like more than just accepting a negative emotion, because that's one thing. And it does that is that can be really hard to do, especially with really, really negative emotions. But then to move the step up into nurturing, it's like now we're not just neutrally accepting it. We actually are like, I'm going to intentionally put positive energy into this and like really giving myself or these this person like fully positive energy toward it. And it's in that that then we actually like free ourselves from staying there, right? It's like that step to help us go to free us from the cage and like let us float and realize that we don't have to identify with it. Like it kind of frees us. We're able to see it for what it is and then the nurturing part frees us to then like not like step away from it and realize that it's not us. We don't have to identify with that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key of the nurturing is if, if we're 
like putting a label on ourselves, then we can't, we have to be, so nurturing or non-identification is Tarbrock's two like breakdowns of the end. And I think it's probably both. So we nurture it and then we, we make sure that we are not saying I end this or like we're removing ourselves and so that we can see it from a clean, pure space because we can't, before we let go, then when we're trying to put a positive thought pattern over it, that is just numbing or lying to ourselves or any of the things. Like until we realize that we aren't those things, until we remove that identification, then we can't really replace it. It doesn't yeah. like work that way. It's like covering it up before you mm-hmm. remove yourself. Yeah. And for me, the words we use surrounding that then are really important. So we've talked a little bit about tapping here, but um, I'll put a link for the actual, like a, a website you can learn more about tapping. But it's where you actually go through meridian points on your body and you say what you're feeling and like negative emotions that you're feeling and it helps you kind of release them. But for me, that is a huge, 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 huge. When are you ready to realize that it's, well, first of all, that it's not you. So I found even for me, instead of I am frustrated or I am depressed, just saying I feel changes it, mm-hmm. changes it completely. I feel depressed. I feel hopeless. Not I am. It's not who I am. None of, none of our emotions are who we are. None of our thoughts are who we are. But you start with I feel. Always I feel. Mm-hmm. Not I am. Right? But things, you, so you, you know, you're tapping. So you're you know, saying I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. And then for me, you can actually, for me, I can like feel it in my body. After usually about two rounds of tapping on these points, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to replace it. And it doesn't feel like a lie anymore. I feel like I've pulled something out and now I have space. And then I do another round of saying, replacing this with, and I choose the, the opposite. So I'm replacing this with peace, love. And the cool thing about that, those things are things that I actually do believe deep down that I am. I do believe that I am love, right? I feel frustrated. I feel hopeless, but I want my core to be love, right? So I'm okay with saying I am love, right? But just that little switch for me, first of all, feeling when you're ready to like, oh my goodness, yes, I can really replace now with a good emotion combined with saying I feel for just when there's just feelings that come and go versus like our deeper self, which is truly love where you can say I am, I think is really really, really helpful. With that, with the tapping, isn't there, and you tell me if you do this, because I know when I had learned the tapping thing too, you say whatever, the, so if it's, I am frustrated, I am feeling frustrated, I feel frustrated, and even though I feel this feeling, I deeply and completely accept myself. Isn't that like yeah. kind of how you go through yeah. it? Which, that end part is also, again, it's interesting because sometimes you may not feel that you deeply and completely accept yourself, but as you kind of go through it, it also helps you like process that and Again, it comes back to that accept, you're accepting yourself for feeling those emotions. And that's the whole yeah. point is like you're wanting to accept it so then you can move into the nurturing phase and be able to move past it and get to those higher frequency, higher vibration yeah. emotions. Yeah. In fact, I'm glad you said that because sometimes it's frustrating for me when people just say, I'll do a link to that and you can just research it yourself. When it's like, hold on, that was like a good tool, but I really don't want to take half an hour and research it. So I'm just going to give you guys a 30-second synopsis. You can try this as soon as you get done with this episode. You take one hand and you tap the karate chop point of your other hand. So like on your pinky side, right, in between the knuckle of your pinky and your wrist. And you just tap it. So you just sit here with the other hand and you're just tapping, tapping, tapping. And you say, this is just one part of tapping, but this part is, I think, super powerful. And if you just do this, it's amazing. But you just say, so say you're feeling really, really 
stressed. You say, even though I feel stressed, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Even though I feel stressed, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And you say it three times. And again, there's different points in your body you can tap. But if you just do that, it is so powerful. Because what you're saying is, I see the emotion, I feel you, I know that you're not me, and me, I deeply and completely love and accept. So you're giving yourself, it's like nurturing and recognition in the same recipe, which is amazing. And then I still go through and I tap saying the, just the emotion, and then I say replacing with. But you, if you're just doing your karate chop point, like just that part on your hand, you could literally say, even though I'm really stressed, even though I feel, did I just use the wrong words, guys? Oh my goodness. Even though I'm feeling deep, you know, stress, I deeply and completely love and accept accept myself not I am oh my goodness right after I said that um, but then you can say I'm replacing with peace and you just keep tapping that point and it's really really helpful so if you want to just try that you can do it right after this episode you don't actually have to do research about it because it's so easy but another beautiful thing about this is I just want to point out you can and she gives examples of this throughout her book you can apply this concept of nurturing to people who have already died, who you have like unresolved stuff with, you know what I mean? Like a parent, an abusive parent who's now passed, you're not going to find resolution with them like in a real conversation or a toxic person who you're like, this person, I don't even want to talk to again. Right. But you can still resolve it by doing this thing. You say to that person, I actually care about your suffering and I release you. Like I am choosing to release you from me. You know what I mean? So you can just picture that, but it's with a loving, like you're sending them with love, which I love. (laughs) I think it's so powerful. And the thing else I want to mention here, it has to do with manifesting, how we were talking about when we're wrestling this with us three, we were like, so what does this have to do with manifesting? Because it sounds like you're just talking about feeling it and nurturing it. But then what about actually feeling great? Like, what is, what about that? Because we want to feel great, right? And for me, the cool thing about the first three, recognizing, accepting, and investigating, you're feeling pretty bad, usually. You know, like you're, you're going down, you're diving into it. Then the nurturing, as soon as you start feeling love and compassion towards your own feelings and towards yourself, you're automatically raising yourself up because love is the most powerful place to be. So you're automatically just raising your whole level up, up, up. So even if you just stop there, you've already pulled yourself up from a beautiful place of manifesting, right? You're going to a place where you are going to find more enjoyment in your life because you're simply living in the present moment from a place of love. So that's enough right there. But then the cool thing is anything above that, I think is just fun. You know, you can take that love and you can start saying things like, that stuff isn't even me because that is the non-identification part, right? Like, I am not my feelings. I am not even my circumstances. I'm not my thoughts. I am something so much greater and I have this powerful ability to create this life I want. And you can take that place that just started with compassion and love and nurturing and you can really go forward of with abundance and Mm -hmm. creating more specific stuff which is a whole nother episode on manifesting but I think to me they're not conflicting Mm -hmm. they lead into each other it's like these Mm -hmm. steps and it starts with this nurturing and this love that already takes you to this beautiful place of clarity and just that is beautiful. And I think you automatically start, you're just open to love in the present moment, which is what our life is about. And you can move there into manifesting stuff. Yeah, with each step, you're, you're kind of raising that vibration. And it's almost like the, the nurturing, the non-identification is a really like peaceful neutral. And then you can raise it more if you want. Or perhaps all you're ready for with the certain circumstance is 
neutral and mm-hmm. that will be healing. So like, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, now I can choose yeah. after that. And we have some, some fun stuff about manifesting coming up in the future yeah, that really we're excited, excited to talk about. So I hope that helped you guys bring this full circle um, so that you can <laughs> not just sit there in the investigation so you can actually move into that peaceful state. All right, let's find the magic. Me, 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 me. Brown cows. first on whatever high cool. fives and then Terilyn and then Kayla yeah let's do it <clears throat> my throat all cleared and then just to be clear I'm going to introduce like the whole thing kind of like what the park chat idea is like park chat and like what it is yeah. what are we okay yeah, yeah. okay so it's like listener yeah. question but like with us yeah cool like a uh what is it? Reoccurring themes that come up. Yes. Okay. Okay, let's do this. All right, everyone, this is Felicia, and I am going to start us out with a high five. Um, and that is just so dang cute to watch your kids really like something. <laughs> um, my opinion on extracurricular activities when kids are little is if you're not like really wanting to do it we're not doing it like I'm not like signing you up for soccer and like coercing you to play when you're like three so Mm -hmm. for my kids I kind of honestly with Cohen my oldest you know he would be like sure I want to play and then you know after one season it was like he wasn't really into it of whatever sort of extracurricular we were doing even with like skiing he was just like fine with skiing but wasn't like i want to do this so much until this year so he's seven so like his seven-year-old year i had like a slight like mourning over him probably not like wanting to play sports i just kind of thought eh, he doesn't really care about them and i love sports so i was kind of sad um but this year, I don't know what happened. There's a fire inside. It is burning. <laughs> it's like obsessively into every sport. So let's, I'm sure I'll be back with a face palm of how it's <laughs> too much. But for right now, it's cute. And it's just so fun to watch him um, love it. Oh, and so there's cute. no, it's like, Mom, I'll be outside shooting hoops, whatever. <laughs> it's just cute to see them like what they like and get into it. So that's my high five. Oh, that is so fun. That's like fun to think about because that's a little bit far away from me right now. So that's really cute. I love that. Slash Emmett's already obsessed with. Well, that's true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Emmett is obsessed with any kind of ball. Yeah, that's true. So I guess I'm not that far away Maybe from this it. This will be an early, <laughs> an early 
we love. Yeah. And it is adorable. He thinks, what do you say? He always thinks in prayers, thanks for Papa, our dad, yeah. and balls. And balls. Yeah, that like pretty much makes about every prayer. He's kind of, yeah, it's really cute. It's so cute. And as soon as he comes over to my house, that's his first thing. Ball, ball, ball. Yeah. Like, where's the balls? Yeah, he knows like at every house that we frequent. So like Felicia, Terilyn, you know, my parents, everybody's house. He like knows where the balls are. And then he will like gather them up and yeah, yeah. He's got a Yeah. Oh, well that is fun to see what your kids get into. I love it. Well, my high five just goes to all three of our husbands who <laughs> my husband added up the other day that with our cause we've surpassed a million listens and if you like do averages of times how much like our voice has been out there in the world and it's like 114 years like if you added it all up back to back which is insane but it got me thinking of all the time we have spent just like with our 5:45 or 5 30 meetings in the morning i mean it usually takes us at least it's like two to three hours each time that we're together like planning recording for each episode so each episode takes about you know at least usually two and a half hours sometimes three hours and so if you add up all those hours, that's a lot of hours because I think we're on our 176th episode. So that's a lot of hours. And for us, I mean, for part of this, our kids are sleeping. But then when we started this podcast, I think I was homeschooling my kids. So it was fine. They were just at home. But for the last two years, they have been going to school in the morning, which is quite a lot of effort to get everybody ready for school that everybody's doing, you know, they're feeling confident about the day they're fed all that stuff and our husbands all three of our husbands have taken over for us for now many 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 mornings getting kids ready for school before they have their own jobs that they go to to provide for our families which is amazing so i just want to give a little high five to all three husbands for having really thriving careers of their own while also still supporting us a ton with ours yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Big high fives to that. Yeah. Cause we couldn't do it. Like I couldn't, we couldn't do this if, <laughs> if we were just like by ourselves. So anyway. yeah, it takes a team for sure. No, I agree. Um, okay. Mine is also high five just to Easter egg hunts. We just came off of Easter weekend and I think we had in Emmett with Emmett had four different, um, <laughs> like Easter egg hunts throughout the weekend, which was kind of crazy, but it was so fun. And I think by the last one, he actually kind of got what was going a little bit more because <laughs> I think at first he was just like, all right, like whatever. The first one we went to, I have never actually been to a community Easter egg hunt. The only ones that I've ever been to are more family ones. And so my mother-in-law had invited us to one in like our hometown where we live. They were doing a free one. And I was like, cool, that'll be fun. So we went and it's so funny because... So as soon as it started, like it started, they just like honked a car horn in this big park and then like all the kids went off and they had bagpipes playing. It was literal mayhem. It was so fun. But yeah, the bagpipes like added a whole other dimension of just craziness. But then, yeah, it was awesome. But it was so funny because I found myself, I actually, again, they say parenthood teaches you a lot about yourself. I did learn (laughs) that I have like a little bit of a competitive spirit in these and like... (laughs) Emmett's two, right? Or I mean, I guess he's almost three. 
And he's just like picking up one egg, looking at it, wants to open it right then. And I'm like, go. Like, I'm like, come on, like, let's get him. You know what I mean? Like, but so gently, I was like, oh, let's, like, we can open them later, put them in the basket, we'll keep going. But then after, like, and I'm like picking up a couple eggs, like putting them in the basket, because I don't, in my mind, then all of a sudden I'm like, what am I doing? Like, there's a bunch of other toddlers in here, and I'm like picking up eggs for my kid and putting it in the basket. I really had to, like, take a step back and be like, it is okay. This is not about me. <laughs> it's about him. Like, it's all right. But it was weird. I, like, found myself, like, feeling this competitive spirit with with a bunch of other kids for this Easter egg hunt. And we were in the toddler realm. So it's not like we're in there with other kids that are, like, seven and eight. It's like all of them are below the age of four. So, anyway, it was it was really fun and also kind of hilarious to learn a little something about myself in those situations. <laughs> you're like my dad yeah um, yeah no totally oh anyway so it was good we went to a family thing all of us with our extended family on saturday and we were trying to say like let's just let our kids be together like my older kids they just want to see liam you know my younger one like the older two just want to watch the younger ones and my dad was like no, no, no. They're not going to get the right amount of eggs, though, if they go to a different, like, age. And I'm like, well, I don't really care if they get eggs. Like, and he's like, well, no, like, the experience, you've got to get as many eggs as you can get. <laughs> it was really cute. So, you know, they split up, and it was great. They had a great experience. But it was hilarious. It's adorable. Yeah. So, speaking of that, we're we're going to be doing some questions that are you know, things we think about as parents that we want to talk with other parents or moms about. And that is an interesting thing that you bring up. The uh, candy after holidays. Yeah. What is this thing of the plastic bag floating around the house, eating a piece (laughs) every two minutes? I hate it. (laughs) What is this thing? I just took them all. I took them all. I put them up high in the pantry and I hope they forget they're driving me nuts. No, that is an interesting point. I am interested because I don't feel like I'm quite there. Honestly, I feel like Emmett kind of forgot about it. And luckily, like we put it away and then he forgot about it. So, but he's at a young enough age where it's like, he doesn't really ask for it. We haven't seen it, but, but even just the weekend that there was a lot of candy, I was like, man, like, I don't know. We just don't have candy just sitting out all the time. So it was kind of like, a little wild because I don't like him to just I maybe I am kind of a little bit strict I don't like him to eat candy like in my living room like he's got to eat it in the kitchen because like I don't like the sticky fingers everywhere like I don't want the sticky mouth so like if he eats it it's got to be in there and then so if he has a big thing of candy he's just like munching on this candy and I anyway so I actually do and wonder I just want it to be like at, like we have like a treat time and a dessert time be like a nibbling throughout yeah. the day yeah totally totally and the sheer quantity i it's we have a big giant i got out a big giant tree bowl and i'm like everybody empty your treats into the big tree bowl because it's so much and then i still had there was still like a box i mean like still bags of easter candy just and again this isn't this is just like coming mm-hmm. in like it just comes it's from red, all right? directions <laughs> and yeah it's insane it's insane um cohen though told me in carpool yesterday that you have offered to buy him a lego set if he's willing to put away his easter like give up his easter candy and i'm like that's smart and it's funny because savannah was like 
I will pay, she's like, I would give away all my Easter candy if you pay me a dollar per candy bar. So I have like a hundred, so like a hundred bucks. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not You're like, this is not a negotiation. <laughs> you guys, this is a good, this is a good place I've got myself in because I have friends who do this with Halloween and they call it a witch switch. And I've always thought that was going to be cute, but then Halloween actually, my kids, I don't know if it's like, cause they have to go from house to house. They're not at the ages where they're getting like so much, like it's almost like on that night, they kind of eat the ones they like. And then maybe for a couple of days it's lingering, but not that big of a deal. Cause yeah, it's like, they I'm have to go. Away. Yeah, me too. Yeah. After a little while, not the first day, but like it just fades <laughs> on its own. Yeah. But this time I was seriously like, this is maddening. Like this is insane. And they're like asking for their bags. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm gonna try out a little bunny switch. So yesterday, so I introduced this and I'm like, you know, for a, a small Lego set or whatever. And they're all like on board. So then yesterday I had to go to the store and Sunny was the only one with me, so he's four. He finds a $2, $2 little like car. And he's like, I'm giving you all my candy for this car. Oh. Like <laughs> obsessed and I'm like, Yes, I have made the right choice. <laughs> so traded, the boys won't be that easy. They'll be way more particular. And I'll report back. <laughs> I love that. Let us know how it goes. Because, yeah, yeah it, it's annoying. And the rappers and the, yeah, I'm with you. So we'll That's see. Hilarious. It could be, I, I was going to tell you guys after I reported back, because I'm not sure. It is a principle that I'm not 100% sure I'm in love with, because it's like, you already have these things that were kind of like gifts in a way. And that's, they're like not really worth money. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's yeah. Like kind of a weird like principle. Not exactly sure that I'm a hundred percent thinking it's a good idea, but I'll let you guys know. Okay. okay. I like it. I also I'll like that you admitted that. Cause sometimes I feel like that too. I'm like, I don't know if I'm fully like <laughs> yeah. in my emotional, like if I'm like totally in, but we're going to see. We're going to see how it goes. Yeah, I'm desperate. Um, okay. Well, that kind of, that does segue in nicely into what we're going to do today. We're kind of going to start something. We're calling it park chats because the idea behind it is, is we all actually do get together outside of this podcast and we usually go to a park. We're all chatting with our kids and you guys probably have this too to f in some form where it's like you go to the park with your friend, your mom friends or your parent friends and, um, we all just are like going through different like situations or stages in life or different like experiences with your kids where it's like, I haven't experienced this yet. Have you guys seen this? What are you doing for it? And I really love it with you two because you guys are older than me. You have kids that are older than me. So you've seen some form of what I'm going through, <laughs> at least with one of your kids. So it's really nice. So today we're kind of, I had a few different questions that I actually have for things going on in my stage of life that I wanted to talk with both of you about. And the nice thing is, is that a lot of these things, cause we were kind of scanning through different listener questions that you guys, our listeners have. And, um, there's a lot of common themes that actually really resonate with same, same questions that I have going on. So that's kind of what we're doing today is this park chat, just like you're getting together with us and we're going to kind of parse out some things that specifically that I have questions on right now. So with that, should we just dive right in? Yeah, I'm excited. Okay, sweet. Um, 
and just to be clear, we have not talked about these before. So this is really just kind of like our raw thoughts on all of this. But so the first kind of question that I've been having recently is um, Emmett is kind of at the age where and I know that every kid kind of goes through this differently, like goes through this at a different time. But he's definitely in an age where he's like, I feel like before he didn't really care if I if I dressed him, did things for him or not. And I feel like I was like, okay, I want him to learn, you know, I want him to learn some of these skills of like how to put on a shirt, how to like put on your shoes, tie them. Because especially then when having a baby come, it's a lot to like get out the door. And so I feel like over the time I've been trying to teach him those skills, but then I feel like I've kind of hit this like middle point where it's like, I want him to be able to learn it by himself, but also I feel like some of those things, I, I feel like I'm specifically referring to getting ready to like for the day. Then it's like, we all know that kids have, have a hard time with transitions. So like getting out the door, they tend to linger and like find, you know, it just like takes longer, which I know. So then I have this hard time of finding this balance of like, for instance, I'm like, now I do just try to like get him ready. Cause I used to like not get him ready until after breakfast. Cause it would just get messy anyway. And so I would get him ready, but now it's like, as soon as he gets up, I'm like, okay, we're getting on our clothes. Cause then otherwise, if I try to get him ready before we're going to go somewhere, it just makes the process exceedingly long. I end up feeling kind of irritated by the end of it. Cause I'm like, we are getting out the door. And I know that he can feel the rush feeling, which I almost feel like makes him stall for longer. Even if it's somewhere we want to go, like we're going to the park or something. It's like for whatever reason. And then it's like, he wants to do it by himself. He's like, I want to put it on. I want to do this. Or so then. So where I'm going with this is sometimes I, I'm having a hard time finding this balance of like, okay, I'm going to let you do this for yourself because I want you to be able to learn how to like put on your shoes. But then also then like finding the line of then me just doing it for him. Because then sometimes it feels like I almost wonder if I've like given him too much <laughs> like where I'm like, okay, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? But then he'll be like, I'll do it. But then it takes forever and if we're going somewhere even if I give myself the extra time I'm like okay well it's gonna take me 25 minutes to get out the door it still feels like then I'm still like kind of frustrated at the end because it's like then I am just like pulling on the shoes really quick and like trying to get out the door and then he ends up maybe crying because he wanted to do it and it's like this whole then it I don't know have you guys seen this and like what do you do to find the balance between <laughs> what do you do to find the balance between them doing it on their own. I want them to learn this skill, but then also just like, okay, I'm going to do it. And like, we're moving forward. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so I have many thoughts. I'm sure Terrilyn does. Cause when you're like, have you seen this? Yes. I'm sure all the people with the children have <laughs> felt this like, ah, um, and I just like, my first thing I would say is you'll probably only experience this exact feeling on your first. Okay. Because all of a sudden on like <clears throat> subsequent kids, it was all of a sudden they like came out of their room dressed one day. Like it's weird <laughs> how like when you're not staring at them 24 seven, they teach themselves stuff. It's yeah. like, Oh, when did you learn how to do that? Well, I was over <laughs> here. Like, like you'll start to see this now that you have will, you'll be like, Oh, whoa, you can put on your shoes now, you know? Uh -huh. So like that like feeling, I feel like I felt it so much with Cohen and what you're saying with the, do you want to do it or do you want me to do it? I know that that's like a thing that people say helps, but I never experienced it that helping me that much. Okay. <laughs> I, 
I would always kind of be like, either I just either put the shoes on without saying anything or like just bring them into the car. That's uh-huh. a move I would do a lot because it tended to be like a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I just bring the shoes in the car and when they're really excited to get out and play, I'll put them on or let them put them on. Cause it's like not a struggle yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, Charlene, did you like the, do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? Did that work with your kids very good? Very well? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. It is worse on the first. I mean, I experienced little bits of that with my other ones. But I mean, my my last, like when you were saying that, I was having to reach back in my memory because with Liam, I don't think I've really ever experienced that with my fourth. So there is definitely, there is a birth order thing here that it is, I think, worse with your first. But that doesn't mean to say you won't experience it with all of your kids a little bit because, of course, with all children, you're balancing the independence versus doing stuff for them, right? Uh-huh. So, I mean, you're going to have a little bit of this. So that's why I think it's such a great question is because it really applies in a lot of different areas. But this specific pain point, I think is extra strong uh, with your first. Yeah. So for me, giving the choice of, do you want to do it by yourself or not? For me, it's, when it comes to getting ready, just adds one more thing that they're like, oh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, they're adding. So, so for me, what that would look like is with, so I'm, I'm you know, picturing Emmett. For me, I just, with my kids, if you just do the, like, you, you're just transitioning from babies to toddlers, right? So you're you're putting on their shirts when they're babies, and you're saying, I'm putting your head through. Okay, now I'm going to put your left arm through. And even babies will. I mean, so how old is Will? Seven months? Yeah. I was just putting on his jacket from at the Easter egg hunt. And it was so cute. Like I was saying, okay, I'm going to put your right arm through. And then when it came came to the left arm I mean he's like helping me right Uh like he's a little tiny baby and he's like trying to help me put his arm through Mm -hmm. it's adorable so instead of it's either like an all or nothing it could be more of like a okay here's your shirt you know and 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 depending on the kid I do think when they start getting bigger giving them autonomy to choose I mean because decisions are a good thing for them so I'm not saying that giving them the choice of do you want to do it by yourself or me is bad if it's working for you it just that specific choice didn't oftentimes work for me but I mean, I did oftentimes give them the choice of do you want the red shirt or the blue shirt, you know, mm-hmm. and that's easy for them to choose. So they're still feeling autonomy. But for me, it was more like, a, okay, I'm helping you. And then slowly, slowly, they're just doing it more on their own. But when it comes down to the push of, I want to do it by myself, and they're taking forever. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is the right way. But for me, it's I give them some time. You know, like, okay, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to try it on your own. And then if it, if it doesn't work, then I'm going to help you. Mm-hmm. And for me, oftentimes that did still leave them being a little unhappy, right? Cause they either get it and they're excited or they're not getting it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to help you now. And then as soon as you start helping them, but for me at that point, it's not a choice. It's a, okay. And you know, you're trying not to be rushed obviously, cause you're trying to give yourself enough time. But if you guys know me well enough, you know, that doesn't happen for me. <laughs> often so I mean so I'm trying not to actually act rushed at all but you know there is a time where it's like okay the shirt needs to come on now so I'm going to I'm gonna help you and then I help them and again this isn't out of anger or like frustration it's just like I'm gonna help you but they do get upset right because it's like well I want to do it by myself and now you're doing it for me and they're not happy about it so the unfortunate thing about that situation is you do have to accept some sad emotions, mm-hmm. but I do like giving them the chance, you know, if they're wanting to, cause it sounds like he's, 
sounds like he's leading that he wants to. Mm -hmm. So I think the key with that is just the time, not before you leave at all. And I know you already said that, but I mean, for me, that would look like a half an hour before you go anywhere when it's not the point. It's like just way ahead of time and he can try getting dressed himself. I think that's great. But if it's before, I mean, we've all seen toddlers can feel it. Well, everybody can feel it, but toddlers, they feel, whoa, we got to go here. I got to slow it down. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it. it's power, right? There's like a lot of power, not even power, not just power. It's, I feel it. I feel resistance when people start rushing me. I mean, even my own kids when they're like, Hey, we got to go. And I'm like, dude, it's 20 minutes. Like, and I feel myself wanting to slow down. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's, I think it's natural, but what Felicia said, I just want to add onto that. So there are certain things you can't do till right before. Right. And those are things like shoes. Cause like for me, we don't wear shoes in our house. Right. So of course we got to get our shoes and shoes can take forever for a toddler. Right. I mean, oh my gosh. It can be so annoying. So for me, I, what Felicia just said, I can't, I usually do that still with my kids. They can either put them on in our garage cause our shoes stay in our garage or bring your shoes with you. And then Emma can take 20 minutes at the park putting on his shoes if he wants to, right? But yeah. you're already at the park, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I would say a couple things. One, time. Time ahead of time. Like, make it not time to go. Two, if you're having a hard time giving him the choice, do it or not do it. Just eliminate that choice altogether. And if he's wanting to do it himself, then give him the chance. But then just be okay with his negative emotions when you need to finish it for him. Yeah. And then the third is where can you cut down on that power struggle with things mm -hmm. like just bring your shoes and take your time at the park, putting them on or, but to the store that doesn't work. So that would look like, okay, I, you know, you get to try putting them on and then in a minute I'm going to put them on, and, you know, yeah. give them a chance while you're like getting well together. And then the, but I don't, I don't know if there is a way around them being sad when you actually reach it and yeah. just do it for them. Cause I mean, and, oh yeah. Keep and going. it will get better. I just, it will get better. Like on your third kid, they will just all of a sudden put on their shoes and you're like, oh, that wasn't the other thing. So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and having it be the first kid, because it's true, you do do so much for the first kid simply because I had the hands to. And then when the baby comes along, it's like, then I started to be like, you know, it would be nice if he could, <laughs> it would be nice if he could actually put on his shoes or, or like get in his car seat by himself and put on the buckle. Like that was something that I feel like we've been working on. That's like another thing. Cause then it's like, I do have to put Will in his car seat and so it would be nice if he would just get in his car seat and buckle himself in. And he can. Like, I know he can actually physically do it now because he does do it sometimes. But then that becomes, like, another thing. And if I can, I'll try to do him first before Will. But sometimes that just, like, doesn't work because then that leaves me setting Will down. And so, Anyway, sometimes it's just easier for me to – anyway. So then the car seat sometimes becomes another thing where then it's, like, he's, like, running around in the driveway. And then I'm, like, just get in the car. Like, we're going. Anyway, I don't – I don't feel like, I just feel like then by the time he's like, no, but I wanted to run in the sun. And then, you know, like he has this whole stalling tactic of like things that he wanted to do. So then it, when I finally put him in, then he does, he's like crying and I'm like, okay, well I gave you the chance and here we go. So anyway, but that makes sense. I think sometimes, I think you guys have pointed out something good is that like the decision fatigue for toddlers where it's like, I think maybe I have given him maybe a little bit too much decisions when I could just be like, okay, now I'm going to do this. So for those things where maybe I want him to learn a skill, I could just do it when it's not time to leave. Like just let him take his time, but not when it's like, we're getting out the door. If Yeah. And 
and your and your reasoning behind that though i mean i applaud you because we talk so much about you do give them choices where you can right because they're it's an important part of becoming independent mm -hmm. i think sometimes we can just make it so yeah then it turns into decision fatigue and it turns into a thing but i do want to just say that i had one place where it does really work for me so liam is five my youngest is five so you'd think i wouldn't have this issue anymore but with him i have noticed if i just say hey we're leaving in 10 minutes uh go get dressed and grab your shoes nothing happens i don't like I, I literally like i go get dressed i come out and he's just still walking around in his pajamas and i'm like hey Hey, I thought, yeah. <laughs> like in my mind, I'm like, I thought we were pals. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, remember you were going to get dressed, I was going to get dressed, we are going to meet here together because you're not too. So this seems like it would be a logical thing. However, so even with him and with him, I actually do give him the choice and it makes a huge difference. I'll say, uh, hey, do you want to pick out, like, do you want to go get your clothes or do you want me to go get your clothes with you? And he'll say, sometimes he's like, it's weird. Once he chooses, like, no, I want to go get him then he does. It's crazy. But if he says, no, I want you to come help me, then I walk up with him. We pick out his clothes together. And then, and then, I mean, he's big enough. He can put on his own clothes, but there are times, I mean, there are totally times when it's like, I just know in my head that I don't want it to take 10 minutes. So I don't even ask him. I just say, I just start talking to him, you know, like, oh, are you, you know, I'm so excited about where we're going. And as we're talking, I'm just kind of like putting it on him. But I only, you know, I probably only do that maybe once a week or so because, mm -hmm. and it's just because I know in my mind, I don't want to wait another extra. Yeah. I don't want to feel rushed. So I'm just going to do this as we chat, you know? Yeah. And so it's not even a power issue because I just know that's how much time we have. So I'm going to help him. But that is just, I'm just, I'm just noting that that is one time for me where I have noticed that it is helpful for him. Like, are you doing this? You know, are you going to go get your clothes? Do you want to, or do you want me to come help you pick out your clothes? And it's amazing. Just him owning it and saying, oh yeah, I'll go get them. Then he does. Yeah. There's so many times where I'm like, hmm, I thought you said you were going to get ready and I was going to get ready, you know? Yeah. And it's like when I say, hey guys, clean this up. And then I walk out of the room. I don't know what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this but is bringing something interesting though, is <clears throat> like, it's a different situation when they're young, then as they start to get older, where you're literally like, am I now going to save them from the situation that they put themselves in by not doing the thing that they know they're supposed to do or they're asked to do? Mm -hmm. So like, how does this transition? So say for instance, Lenny, he's in kindergarten. He has this school folder and, um, you know, there are multiple days where, I mean, he's in kindergarten, so it doesn't actually matter. It's not like this big consequence, but where it's like, that's where the folder is put in your backpack when you leave to, to school. But he's just like messing around. And then he comes home and he's like, mom, I need my folder. I'm like, perfect. It's right on the counter. Put it in your backpack. I can put it in his backpack, but it's like almost yeah. in my mind, I'm doing this like, but I need him to, to learn this. So. Yeah. I think that's interesting because when they're toddlers, do we, you know, fold in those moments of like, you get to the park and you don't have shoes on. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. when do we let them experience? We've read a book called How to Raise an Adult. Yeah. And she argues way more towards that, where you're letting them have their consequences. Um, 
I choose not to let them have consequences when it affects me yeah. <laughs> and my situ like if we're going to get to the park and it's bark chips, so they're not even going to want to play. That's really annoying for me. So right. I'll grab the shoes, but I think we can't, I think you can fold in those situations. Caroline, your kids, you probably experience this a lot with your ages and our lack of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't wear shoes half the place we go. So yeah, for me, and I can't remember what book I read this in, but for me, it, it all comes down to, for me, yeah, I actually never force my kids to wear coats, but I never give them the option of just not bringing it at all if we're going somewhere together. So for example, you know, it's, hey, do you want to just toss the coat in the car or do you want to wear it? And oftentimes they're like, oh, no, I just want to bring it instead. And so to me, that's not even a power issue at all. I don't mind grabbing the coat and bringing it. And eventually they do want it. And then they look for it themselves and put it on. Right. But same thing with shoes, but I'm experiencing with school, like my, uh, my eight year old, he is convinced some days he does not need a coat to school. <laughs> and, but I can't, I actually can't like, it isn't like I'm there with my car. So there's been a few days where I'm like, okay, just, you know, make sure you go outside and feel it. And he'll go outside and be like, yeah, I don't need it. And he owns that decision and and so far it hasn't backfired on him but yeah there are times where where there is a balance what is that balance of letting them have the consequences of their own thing or just for me sometimes it's just a matter of changing the options just a little bit so it's not this power struggle where you're forcing the coat on them because you think it's too cold it's just slightly changing it to okay well you know what let's just bring it you know it's just fine if it's there if you change your mind it's there and I think that's okay, but to me, that isn't like a helicopter, like, oh, I will make so that you don't have the consequences of your bad decisions. It's just like a making like a, okay, yeah, you don't want to wear it? Cool. Well, I'm going to throw mine in the car too, so, so that, I don't know. I don't know. Do you think that's that too much though? I'm not sure. I think, so I, that's exactly what I do with, with coats, like that situation. I, I can sense some, like, so say with like sports gear Ooh. I make them put it all in a place that they know and I make them get it for their games yeah. but it will be sometimes where it's like you know they can't find it and they're like floundering and it's like I I could get it and I want them to learn this principle yeah 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 no that that actually is a way big deal for me because I don't want to be the one hunting up shin guards every time so they yeah. each have their own bag of soccer stuff and they're in charge of making sure it goes back. And I, you know, I'll say, hey, remember when you take it off, put it directly in your bag, on your shelf. And there are times where they can't find it. Now, they're, just to be clear, I'm usually not like, oh, well, I don't care, you're on your own. Because if they really can't find it, then obviously our whole family will help them. But for the most part, I don't gather it for them. And, and usually they're the one who finds it by themselves. Like, I actually can't think of the last time I've gone hunting for sports stuff, but I've seen them hunt a lot. You know what I mean? And they learned that like, oh man, I really didn't like it there. I want it back in the bag where, where a system is in place. And I think that is important because yeah, that's exhausting. Trust me. I have four kids now in soccer, four, four children in soccer. <laughs> and if I was managing all their gear for them, that's exhausting. It's just enough that it comes to our laundry. Like that's a lot. Right. So, but yeah, their gear, I think that's really important to let them give them the opportunity to keep track of their own stuff. And that happens with backpacks. I mean, yeah, school mm -hmm. folders, backpacks they'll leave it in a car and then I could just go get it for them in the car but I say you know where is it okay let's think about it so you left it in the car how can we make it easier tomorrow you know where could you can you hang it in your hook that's four backpacks instead just an option but they still you know like my son he still leaves it in the car all the time 
So I he doesn't have homework like, anymore. So he doesn't have yeah. homework yet. So my other girl, my girls, that never happens with because they're in charge of their own homework. I get this, like, I think I have this weird, um, like, past, like, layering with it because growing up, my mom was never, like, she didn't, like, get us ready for any of these sort of things. Yeah. And so I feel like I was, like, my brother and I both were, like, just learned that personal responsibility really early. Uh-huh. Because we had to. And, like, I don't even, so there's, like, this little trigger inside me where when they're, like, where's my folder? It's, like, I don't even want to answer the question for you of where's your folder. Mm. That in itself is, it's, I'm sounding dramatic, but, like, you're giving me an emotional burden that is not for me. Like, my, mm. my brain's already full of a lot of stuff that I'm managing for a lot of people. And I have it with Parker, too. Like, when he's, like, where's my tan hat? It's, like, don't ask me where your tan hat is. It's your tan hat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> And I think it's because of how I was raised where it's like, I had to have, I faced those consequences because of my own, like I had my own personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. So kind of inside, I'm like, I know you can handle that situation by yourself. So I feel like I'm more with it. Like, I don't want to hold your hand. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a, it's a trigger yeah. of mine that I need to like figure out because I don't, yeah. I don't when I'm saying that now. I don't necessarily, I think there's like this range of, of how helpful and supportive you want to be. And there's, <clears throat> there's not like a right number on this range to be, but I think it's the, in the deciding at what number on the scale can I be kind and supportive and mm-hmm. not triggered. Right. And like being in that spot when they're, instead of like getting annoyed, you mm-hmm. know? Like, whatever you want to be, just be it. Don't be helpful with an underlying annoyance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, because what you're saying is you have, that's a positive motivation to want your kids to be independent. Because what I hear you saying is that for you, you learned a good skill by being independent and being self-reliant. But it also sounds like to you, there was a little bit of pain there as well, because you maybe wanted a little more support, right? So are you trying to say how to balance the, teaching your children that self-reliance while also still being supportive and making them not feel like they're just totally on their own because you probably don't want that for them either. Is that what you're saying? Like finding that space. I didn't feel any like pain with that um, specific thing. So like, I think I more feel with this is like, I know my opinion is I know they can do all these things without asking me. Mm. Without even asking, because I know they can. You know that Mm -hmm. feeling of like, I know you can do this without any of my assistance, but it's hard because I, it differently than how I was brought up, I am right there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You don't want to be like ignoring them. Right. Which kind of leads us into Kaylin's question. Yeah. Yeah. Watching. Mom, watch. Mom, watch. Yeah, because that is another question. Because, no, because it's, well, just a couple thoughts of this. Is It is interesting because this thing doesn't go away as they get older of figuring out that balance between letting them do something by themselves and maybe reap some of the natural consequences that come from it while still being there. Anyway, and it's, I, yeah, because it sounds like, so, just really quickly with that, it sounds like some of the things that you're saying is 
sometimes it's good to like set in place an infrastructure, which it sounds like you guys have done, like say with the sports stuff, it's like helping them build that infrastructure together. So it's like, okay, this is where your sports stuff is. This is where you can find it, like helping them come to that so that then like what we've talked about, you invest the time ahead of time so that then hopefully they are able to do it by themselves easier. And as they grow, they can also then make their own infrastructures of like, okay, when I'm a teenager and I'm, it's time to go to practice, I've already created, you know, I have my bag of stuff that I needed to do anyway. So this is interesting and it is interesting to find the line because obviously like as they grow, we are figuring out, we are kind of backing off. So it's just, I feel like it's the good thing about kids, but also the hard thing is that they are always changing. So it like keeps me on my toes. Like as soon as I've got it figured out, there's like something, I don't know. I'm like figuring out how to wean it off, but yeah, go. Sorry. Oh no, go for it. I was going to say it probably there's a lot of it that is connected to our perception of what we should be doing or like what a good mom would do or what your like ideal Mm -hmm. and which that always gets us in a sticky situation when we have this like this is how it's going to be yeah or or what your mom did if it's something that you're like I want to do that like for you where it was like uh, I I want this personal responsibility but if you had a mom who I mean I had a friend whose mom would like lay out we were in junior high she would like lay out her clothes the night before pack all of her sports stuff for her I mean she was like a like a manager you know right and and I think that friend now she feels like guilty when she's choosing different you know because she's like well maybe this means I'm not a good mom but it's not true of course (laughs) you know teaching your kids independence is a really important skill but so you know you're gonna have a lot of different voices in your mind with this yeah but the thing that's coming to my mind when I picture those moments because it happens you know 15 times a day where kids (laughs) asking me asking me for something you know and I'm doing something. And for me, the thing that's actually like pricking me right now is when I tell my kids something like, hey, you know where your shin guards are. I'm not doing it in a, like I'm looking them in their eyes and saying, you know where they are. Or if you don't know where they are, you know where to look to find them. You know, whatever. Like I'm not giving them power. I'm like, as I'm like throwing dishes in the dishwasher being like, hey, you know where they are. You know what I mean? Like this is up to you. Find it. Like it's not, so actually when I'm, like when you were talking about, I don't want the mental burden of it. Think how powerful it'd be if you could in those moments actually like kneel down their level and say, and I've actually seen you do this, Felicia, things like this, where you could kneel down and say, your sports stuff is your responsibility. And I know you can own this responsibility. Like I believe, like when you were saying that, I could feel it. Like you knew, like you can feel it in your heart. You have the confidence that they can manage it. So from a place of, I know you can manage this. So I'm like, I would actually prefer you just to own it and not even bring it up with me or whatever it looks like for you. But a conversation like that, like, I know you can do this. And I mean, what would that take? 10 seconds of actual attention time to give your kid, like, I believe in you, you can do this. And I know it's frustrating that you can't find it, but like, I know you can own this and and even, and this could be a really good time for a replay, right? At the end of the night, like, hey, you couldn't find your shin guards today. That was really stressful, wasn't it? Let's talk about this. I really believe in you and we already have a system, but you know, let's redo it in our minds. If you're next time, when you come up from your game, where are you gonna put your shin guards? I mean, that's a great opportunity for replays. But as we're talking, I'm realizing, I think I'm missing out on a lot of connection time and trying to pass off these lessons in a distracted way, right? Like as I'm doing something else, like, 
oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't say it like this, <laughs> but they're getting the vibe of how have you lost your shoes again? You know what I mean? But really, I mean, what would it take? Just a few seconds to actually stop what I'm doing, look down at them and say, you can't find your shoes. Mm, yeah, I hear you. Um, I want you to know that I want you to own this. Not, you know, just kind of explain what you're explaining, Felicia, but from a connected point of view, if we could just yeah. come back, that's what I'm, that's what I'm feeling. Because if a few times of that, guaranteed, it's not going to be every day that you're saying distract. Because I feel like this is one of those situations you say a hundred times distractedly every day, but just a little bit of connection or a few replays and you're going to cut down on that amount so much because your yeah. kids are going to know she believes in me. I own this in a good yeah, way. Yeah. Like I'm going to, I'm going to look everywhere before I ask her for help. You know what I mean? Not because she's not willing or because she's unkind or not supportive, but because I got this, you know, I don't know. So that's, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, for me, just making it a little more connected instead of saying it distractedly 10 times. Yeah. You know? yeah Cause again, it honestly comes up with me. This concept comes up with me many times a day and I think I could be a little bit more connected and I think it actually cut down on the amount of bandwidth I'm putting on the conversations you know yeah right yeah I really like that that's good and I think with that um like I think sometimes it feels because we've all we've all had that where it's like you're rushing to do you know whatever or you're just busy doing whatever because as parents we do have a lot going on that then it's just like you know over the shoulder like yep you can do it whatever it is but like and so sometimes it feels like we don't have the time or energy or space, like whatever it may be to just like intentionally like focus for a second and say, but when you think about it, it's like, it may only take 10 to 20 seconds. Maybe sometimes it takes a little longer and that might happen, you know, the, when the day's done and you can talk to them about it. But sometimes it is maybe just a 10 to 20 second of like, I'm focused on you. Here's maybe what we can do. You're right. That's not going to happen every single time that moment comes up. It is going to shorten the time. So. I think you bring up a really good point of like, again, investing some of the time now so that then in the future you're saving some time and energy for everybody. Um, okay. So that was awesome. Thank you guys. <laughs> and so another thing that I am going to delve into next is kind of this, the mom, I call it the mom watch phenomenon. Cause I'm feel like I'm just getting into this. And what that means for me is I don't know if anybody listening is familiar with Johnson Files. They're, he's like this hilarious guy who does, like, he's like kind of a comedian and he does funny things. He has an Instagram account and it's way funny. And if you guys don't follow him, it's a great one to follow. But he does do a whole spoof on, like, Mom Watch. And he does these hilarious things acting like he's a kid. And they're, like, the most ridiculous things, right? Like, the kid, like, lays on the ground, like, flat on their stomach. And then it's like, Mom, watch this. And the mom's just like cool. Like, I don't know what to say. And that is, it's funny because when I first saw that, it was probably a year ago and, and it wasn't even verb, like, you know, he was not quite verbal at the time. So that wasn't even a thing. But of course we've all seen kids do that to their moms. And now I feel like I am kind of in that where Emmett will oftentimes like throughout the day be like, mom, watch. And if I am not, and sometimes I even am watching, but if I don't confirm, like I am watching you, he like will keep saying it until I watch him. And anyway, it sounds kind of, it sounds kind of dumb, but at the same time, I'm like, so I, I feel like, again, I am finding this, I'm having a hard time knowing how to address it. Cause at the same time, it's like, I want to be present and I want him to feel like I'm there with him watching and that I care. Cause I get that like, maybe what matters to him isn't always going to matter a ton to me. Like for him to be able to do a somersault, that's really cool for him. And I can experience that with him. But after like the fifth time, it's also like, all right, I'm done watching. Like I'm, 
I don't really. So I think I'm having a hard time of being like, I want to be present and help him know that what matters to him matters to me. But then I also like, when is enough enough? And I think like this sounds dramatic, but also like, I don't want to like break his spirit and being like, Hey, you know what? Like, I'm not going to watch anymore. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know how to address that in a way that is like kind, respectful, compassionate, but also like being like, okay, I'm done watching now. Even if he still continues to ask me, do you know what I mean? That's so common. And I have, as you were saying that, I have three out of my four children who say that all the time. Still. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's not really get better. <laughs> yeah. And even, I mean, even with my oldest, she still does it, but it's just not to the same extent. Right. I mean, she, of course, everybody still wants to be seen and they have cool things they want to show you. But I mean, I've actually noticed with my five-year-old, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I'll be watching with my eyes. But then, like, you know, say, this happens all the time. Felicia or Caitlin are sitting there. They're talking to me. Like, we're at the park. He's like, Mom, I'm watching. Okay, so I'm watching. But somebody's still talking, so you can tell my attention is not all the way there. <laughs> yes. He's like, no, watch. Like, and I'm like, I know my watch eyes. Watch with your ears. And yeah, watch with your... <laughs> yeah. I want your heart and your ears and your eyes, not just your eyes. So, yeah, it's an... It's... Everybody wants to be seen, so... This is a really, really good question. And for me, what it looks like is sometimes giving them full attention, trying to fill that bucket of, yes, I see you. And not over, for me, the trick actually is not over praising it. Like, oh yeah, you're so amazing. Good job. It's more, <laughs> I just am observing and giving them like the feedback of things like positive praise, you know, like um, you worked really hard at that or, ooh, that's creative. I can tell you really thought about that picture things like that. So that's actually the, where the energy comes from me is thinking of the way to say it without just over praising it, but actually giving them something that's going to help their mind, mm -hmm. um, which we can do in a whole nother. I actually want to do a whole nother episode on praise, but, um, so for me, that looks like sometimes giving him the full attention, like, Oh wow. Like I really see you. But the hard thing for me is that I don't know the answer. If they're asking, I, I don't do that every time. I don't. Yeah. Because sometimes I am right in the middle of something else, right? And so I'll say, I can't watch right now. Or there are some times where it's a little distracted. And and for me, that's just, I think I just accept that sometimes I'm really there. And I try to make sure that sometimes I'm really giving them attention. Because I have noticed, just like we were talking before, if you don't and you're always like the, oh, I'm not watching, I'm not watching, I'm distracted, then it gets worse. Like it like just makes it stronger, yeah. right? Because they're not getting any, they're not getting that need. So it just gets louder. Or it gets or it gets shut down altogether. And then, yeah, there's that really, then there's an underlying sadness, which is, I know, you know, I don't want that. So I try to give attention and try to fill that bucket. And then sometimes know that I, I can't watch the somersault. Like we're, we're now at a hundred times. So. <laughs> yeah. and, or I'm doing something else and that's okay too, you know? So I, I'm not sure besides just to recognize that there's a balance there make sure you are giving full blown attention sometimes. And then sometimes you can't and that's okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's like, a, oh, sorry, Kaylin. I think there's like an element of it that <clears throat> is like they're practicing on their kid level. Like how do we communicate with people? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think it's an opportunity and I, I'll find the book and link that talks about this specific practice, but like of teaching your kids when I'm talking to another adult, I'm not going to, let you interrupt my sentence even though with a little kid it's really hard because it's like it looks like you're slightly ignoring them or like 
putting your hand up and saying like, just a second, but like, I see it as a disservice to teach them that they can interrupt people when they're talking. Yeah. So it like kind of gives me like, this is a teaching moment. Like I'm going to hold up my hand. And even though they're still saying mom, 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 mom. And, and this might have to not be the same conversation that it would be if it weren't uninterrupted. It's like, I, I want to teach you that just for one second, like you need to wait because somebody else is talking Yeah. and like that might be making it more of a deal than it is. But I do think it's a good moment to like, which you're saying when you're home alone, he's doing this is different. I mean, it happens at, at either time. Like sometimes I am with right. other adults and sometimes it's like me by myself, but I do notice yeah, I do notice sometimes it's like if, you know, I'm making dinner, I'm doing something, I am doing something else. And he's like, mom, watch. And sometimes I do watch. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep going. But then he keeps asking. And so then it's like, but I think hearing this though, I think I'm not even totally sure. It's like, I'm sure I've been there some of the time, but I think I probably could be more mindful of like, am I actually like paying attention and maybe watching for a second and then saying, okay, now I'm going to like keep emptying the dishwasher or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I'm not going to watch for like, I'm not going to watch and you can keep doing it. And I'm just going to be doing this. Like I could make sure in my mind, cause even looking back, I'm like, was I totally mind? You know, like I could probably be a little bit more mindful about that. And another thing that I actually really like that you said, Felicia, cause it, it, it happens to, I like the interrupting, like when you're talking to somebody for sure. Like I've, you know, I think we've all experienced that. So, but I think you bring up a good point too, that it's like, we are also teaching them that like, I'll do the same thing with you. Like, so when I'm talking to another friend, I'm going to focus on them for a little bit. And again, it's like age appropriate because a two-year-old might have a harder time waiting for a really long time for me to come back to him. But like letting him know, like, I actually am going to focus on this friend for a little bit. And then, but I'm going to do the same thing for you. Like when you're telling me something, I'm not going to let like a sibling or anything else interrupt me while I'm like hearing this. So I think it's teaching that, that it, that I'm going to give the same attention to both. And I think that is a service that we can give our kids. So I think you bring up a really good point. And I think they're connected. We're talking about something that's, it's kind of the same. It's on a spectrum, right? It's just a different version of it. The watch me do a somersault. And I want to tell you something. And I've actually read two. I can still remember it. It was like this really, I mean, I couldn't find it now. I don't think, but, and it was actually an article about the opposite of why we should let our kids interrupt us. And when I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is compelling. This is very compelling. Because their whole point was like, we want our little kids to be able to be spontaneous and share what's in their heart and not have us be like, wait a minute. But what I found is that comes up so much. And in the long scheme of things, how life is, is a balance of conversation. And in my family right now, it's much less of the mom watch, although we still have that. Um, but with Mike, I mean, we have four kids. So at the dinner table, there is not a moment of silence and everybody wants to say something. And there have been times where it's like one person wants to say something, then we have to just do the, hold on, Parker's still, you know, Parker's still talking. But then the key is you have to make sure as soon as there's a break and that then it's important to say, okay, Savannah, you had something important to say. What was it? Because I think it's important to let them know what you have to say is really important. I just, we had to wait till they were done with their thought because that is something you have to practice in real life. Right. But it doesn't mean that we have to say isn't important, but it creates just so you know, like even so with my 10 year old, she sometimes will be like, okay, fine. I just want to say it at all. You know what I mean? And I'll have to say over and over, like what you have to say is important. We just need to let her finish talking first. Mm -hmm. And the hard thing with my five-year-old is he forgets and then he's really sad about it. Mm -hmm. So he'll be like, 
but when it's his turn, he'll be like, I forgot what I was going to say. I mean, that happens to us probably once a day, you know? And I'm not sure the answer besides just in a loving way saying, I do care what you have to say. And I'm sorry that you forgot about it because, you know, he's sad about it. Yeah. But I think to me, it's still not worth letting them override somebody else while they're talking. But the same, that, that it's like an exact same concept almost as yeah. the mom watch because it may not be a conversation, oftentimes it is, but it might be a task that you're doing that's important for you to finish. Right. And so I think that's okay sometimes to say, Sometimes I'm giving you, when you were talking, the thing that came to my mind is, so say they're going to ask you in an hour to watch something five times. If you really watch it once and then lovingly a few of the other times say, I'm going to finish this task or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. your attention is somewhere else and they know it and they could or could be sad about it, could not be sad about it. Mm -hmm. That one time that you really watched, I think is actually going to do more than half watching it five times. Right. Absolutely. So I think it's kind of one of those, one of those situations of, Full attention given sometimes makes so that when the times you're not going to give attention, you're going to be intentional, still loving about it, I think makes it so that that need can still be met. Yes. Without feeling like, because the answer to this definitely isn't every single time ever drop what you're doing, no matter what. You know what I mean? Right. Um, That would be exhausting for you. And the answer also isn't just distractedly, just never watch and never give them attention. Right. Yeah. I love that quote. I think it's Magda Gerber, but I could be wrong, where she says, yeah, something like, half-hearted attention always like or sorry full-hearted attention sometimes is way better than half-hearted attention always because then it's like they're never fully getting it full and you're not feeling it either we've all been there where it's like you're kind of half there and that's I think totally what we're talking about whether it's mom watch or just interrupting every kid wants our attention and our awareness and like yeah everybody wants to be seen in some way and that in itself isn't bad and so when we are able to give it our full attention and then fully say okay I've seen that and then I'm going to now do this. Even if they have sad feelings about it, it's still okay to like full-heartedly accept it and be okay with letting those feelings be. That's why the whole Rye method, which is Magda Gerber, Jenna Lansbury, respectful infant education, it's Mm -hmm. liberating to me. The concept that, I mean, to me, this, it's, it doesn't mean that you have to literally be giving your baby attention every single second of the day. This, this quality one-on-one eye gazing, right? Mm-hmm. But it means that when you, when you are doing that, you are doing it. Mm-hmm. Like you are connected. You're changing that diaper and you're looking at them and you're talking in this loving voice. So it makes so that when you do, when they are having their, what do they call it? Like it's so good for their brains where they're just laying there quietly. Um, oh. They have another word for it. I can't remember what it is. I know what you're talking about. But like you can go do the dishes or read a book or do whatever and it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you're constantly there just giving them this attention. You know what I mean? Right. But it makes so that when you do give that attention, it allows so that they can be by themselves and you don't have to feel guilty about finishing the task. You right. know what I mean? Or yeah. again, it doesn't, we keep talking about tasks, but if you're doing anything that's important to you, Mm-hmm. It's okay that they're not getting everything from you right then because they did earlier and they will again because yep. you're giving them when you're connecting, you are really, really connecting. I think that actually that applies to everything we've talked about today. Mm-hmm. The helping, even the attention of, I know you can own this, you know, keeping track of your own shin guards thing. One good connected conversation is going to do way better than 10 times me across the room being like, you already, you're in charge of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like half distractedly giving it back to them 
Yeah. It applies to this entire thing. I think maybe that's the theme of this park chat is when we connect, let's really connect, like really fill those buckets yeah. and then be okay with not, um, and the, those other times allowing them to figure it out on their own because we have already given them lots of the connection, yeah. you know, it isn't just living our lives half distracted, throwing st information at them and not letting them, you know, like kind of watching them half listening to them when they talk. Let's mm -hmm. really, when they talk, listen, when we're watching, really watch when we're teaching them a lesson that we want to talk about their stuff. Let's do it in a really connected way. And then those other times be okay with letting them either be frustrated or not, but that's okay because we've done the connecting at other yeah. times. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think there's also like, when you guys were talking, I was thinking how many times is my, is my kid engrossed in something Legos or something. And I feel like that's one of my big things. I try not to interrupt play yeah. for any reason, unless it's like, we have to, we must interrupt this. And so like, just being mindful of it, cause they're, they'll, yes, but they're engrossed in their thing. That's really not, I don't think, I don't see as important, but to them it is. So like, if we don't want them to interrupt us when we're doing a thing, being mindful that we're not interrupting them when they're doing their like kid situation. Yes. Yeah. And what is their work? Play, right. imagination, right. conversations, whatever, whatever it is. I, as you were saying that I totally felt a prick of guilt in the car. Again, when I'm talking, yeah, I'll be like, let's wait till somebody else is finished. But there are times when like little kids are talking and I'm like, I'm just going to tell them something. And I just, Hey guys, by the way, and I just right. throw it out there. Like what I have to say is more important, but that's right. not true. It's not true at all. Right. And you guys can hear my children are awake above us. If you can hear like <laughs> somebody just knocked over a chair. <laughs> Classic barstool knockover. Yeah. Yes. But I think that's a really good point. You just made Felicia. That is really, I think. Yeah. And again, even babies, I think, I mean, Janet Lansbury, I've heard her say that like when they are quietly just gazing at the ceiling, don't interrupt that if you don't have to, right? right? It's important. Like they're doing their own brain work. So I think it's just respect that we're sending the we're we're trying to teach our children for us. It's also important for us to show that to mm -hmm. them. And to me, that means honoring their conversations and their play. And of course that doesn't mean, I mean, yeah, we have, if we have some more, we're going to go, I'm not going to be like, Hey, you just play for two more hours and we're just, right. <laughs> you know, but being aware of it, I think sometimes yeah. we do think that our stuff is just more important because we're adults. So but that's how people, that's how our children learn is by us modeling it and respecting them back. I love that. That's a really, really good point. Felicia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's really helpful. And honestly, yeah, kind of what you talked about that theme of like the full hearted attention being present fully, because kind of my next thing. And I think, um, just for like the last few minutes that we have was, and I know that we've done episodes on this, but transitioning from nap time to quiet time is something that I've been going through. And honestly, like some of the things that we've already talked about, I think that I can totally apply here in some ways. But um, I did just want to kind of get your guys' feelings on this because I know that this is kind of a struggle for everybody. But I went from nap time to going to quiet time. 
And I feel like it's now been a few months and sometimes quiet time is great. Like sometimes he will just get lost in his play and it's really good and he'll just like do it for a long time. And then I am able to kind of have my time to regroup, get things done that I need to get done, whatever it may be. But then there's been definitely sometimes where it's like, you know, he'll call for me a lot because I actually do try to like have it be in his room. So it's like secluded and he's doing his own thing. And I know that Terrilyn, I know you've mentioned before that like after a little while, like you kind of let them go wherever they want, but it still is like the, the boundaries of quiet time. My problem is that if I do let him come out where I am, like if I'm doing podcast work or whatever it may be, he does continue to like ask me things or, or ask me to watch things or ask me for help with something or whatever it may be because he knows that I'm there. And so I do prefer him to kind of be in his own space because then like I feel like that happens less, but it is hard if he continues to it's just I am having a hard time finding especially now with two kids because the time that it overlaps with Will being asleep and then Emmett being in quote-unquote quiet time is really small and so that window has shortened for me and I have been having I was talking to Felicia about this last week I have been having a hard time because I don't get even just like even if it was just like 20 minutes of just like okay like no one is bothering me no one needs me needs anything from me for like 20 minutes in the middle of the day. And so I'm just having a hard time navigating that of like, then if he continues to call for me, cause now I did kind of potty train. So he'll be like, mommy, I need to go potty. And I'm like, okay, great. And he's still at the point where it's like, I still am kind of there when he is going to the bathroom. So then it's hard. Cause it's like, even during that quiet time, he almost knows how to get out of it. And it's kind of turned into this thing where like, it's not quiet time for me because I am actually still kind of attending to him during it. And I know maybe the quick answer is just like, don't attend to him. But sometimes like with the potty thing, I feel like I need to. I don't know if you guys have any tips on this of like how you've navigated that. Now you do have multiple kids that don't even nap some of them. I don't know. How do you figure that out? How do you reconcile that? Yeah, I feel like quiet time is like a recurring thing. So we'll also link some episodes that we've done that might for listeners help. Um, but it is tricky when there's not other siblings because I was telling Cal, like my two that don't nap that are home during that time, they're a little bit older. So they kind of have practiced seeing the other ones do this time of the day where we're not going to mom for things. Mm -hmm. So you're just, you're at a tricky age and you're at the transition age of just like independence generally with play. So my one piece of advice, I mean, what we talked about where it's your compartmentalizing connection time, like you're being connected to him and attending to him. And then it's like, now you get this time where it's like only for you. And I get this time where it's only for me. That'll be big. Um, But then also just like really like, concretely what activity can I find that will engross him for for Cohen for my oldest it was like audiobooks or starting younger like we found this stories podcast that it was like uh, taking enough of his attention that he was feeling like oh this is really fun mom's not more tempting I have like my little fun time so maybe mm-hmm. for Emmett that's like a specific toy that he only gets out during quiet time like these specific train track that's like I am only playing with this during quiet time so it's like extra special mm-hmm. um I know Terrilyn did something with Lydia 
of like a, a light in her room that would tell her or a timer. Yeah, I got her a really cute little owl timer, her and Savannah. Well, because I just want to add here. So for those listening, if you're unfamiliar with the concept of quiet time, it's one of our, for me, it's like the best parent hack ever. And once you put it in place, I mean, it's not perfect, but wow, it's a sanity saver. And that is when when your baby transitions out of naps, you don't lose that time. You just keep putting them in their room and they learn imagination time they learn solitude i mean there's so many good things for their brain and it teaches them that they can be on their own and it's so because so you just keep that time no matter what right and then there's no it's just like for them when they first start it's like wait i don't have to sleep it's like no you don't have to sleep you just have to play by yourself right so that's just a little if you're unfamiliar with this concept that's what Mm -hmm. quiet time is when we're talking about it but for me yeah and i have to say also caitlin this is also for me the hardest on my first Felicia just mentioned Cohen. This is kind of one of those things, again, it's the hardest for your first one. Like it's never even been an issue for my fourth ever. Mm-hmm. Quiet time's been like the easiest thing for him ever. I mean, he'll interrupt me every once in a while, but it's very rare, very rare. He actually is to the point now, none of my other kids could do this. He will sometimes come in the room with me and I don't even care because he's playing so quietly because he knows not to interrupt me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredible. So just, you know, it gets better. There's something about the first though. And I think it's because they're just so used to so much focus, attention, but it's a little harder for them. Mm-hmm. But so for me, yeah, I got my oldest two timers. And so for me, and I really wanted to have time on their own that was, so if we count solitude time as not input from outward minds, like I want it to be on their own, they could have toys, but I want it to be inside their own head. So I'd actually set a timer for 30 minutes and after 30 minutes they could play together. But you know what? Now, I, I, that sounds like so, I don't even know what I was, I mean, I think it's fine in philosophy, but now it seems so strict. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I mean, now there's no timers. There's no nothing. It's just quiet time. And, and you, you can play with each other. You can play by yourself. I don't care. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I've, I've loosened up a lot and I kind of like where I'm at now better. But I mean, yeah, the only rules for me is, yeah, no screens, no electronic stuff. It's just they play on their own. And now all four of my kids, sometimes during, and when we don't even call it quiet time. We actually call it free play now that my kids are older. But still, Sunday afternoons, they get free play. So this on a weekend, we're all together. They get like two hours of free play. And sometimes they're together. Sometimes they go off. Sometimes my daughter's reading in a room. Sometimes they get some crazy game going. And I don't care. Like, as long as, again, the whole point is, you guys are doing your own thing. I'm doing my own thing. And so, so, but so anyway, just letting you know, it gets a little easier. It gets a lot easier, in fact. But the main tip I have is they go in little phases. So it'll get a little harder and it'll get easier. But the phase for me is, first of all, what Felicia said, 100%. Like find something that maybe is special for for quiet time and that can help. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is you're just being really consistent about you're not going to give him any of that stuff during quiet time at all. So like if he comes and says watch, nope, it's quiet time. Mm-hmm. If you're taking a nap, honestly, because for me at your at your stage, all I could think of was I just need a nap, right? Mm-hmm. They come in, they ask you a question. Literally, my only answer was I'm taking a nap, mm-hmm. and that was it. And yeah, it was sad because I was getting woken up, but like that's all they got, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like I'm taking a nap. I'm not engaging. I mean, I'm not mean about it, but it's just like I'm I'm not gonna watch. I'm not gonna open that cup for you. I'm not gonna, you know, like tell you about where the 
where this is like I'm none of it like I, you just don't get any of that you know what I mean mm -hmm. the only tricky thing is with the bathroom I mean he clearly knows that you can't just ignore helping with the bathroom mm -hmm. so um hopefully my only advice with that is that's usually pretty short so maybe as little as possible oh maybe it could be like when you change a baby's diaper in the night when you have to because you really don't want to you're trying to avoid it at all costs but when you do you do it quietly and in the dark with not very much stimulation. Uh -huh, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So maybe it's like that. Maybe it's like a, if you really need help going to the bathroom, it's again, we're not talking stony silence. Like you're like fuming, right? Uh -huh. Of course. Well, I know you, but I'm just saying <laughs> for our listeners, you know what I mean? It isn't like a, mm, it could be just a, you need to go to the bathroom. It's quiet time. So, and, and then you don't even talk like maybe no, you know, like you're not talking, you're just going in quietly and you're calm and loving still, mm -hmm. but just like a, you go to the bathroom, you help him with whatever he needs help, you put it back and you go straight back into quiet time. So to him, it isn't like a, oh, wow, that was like really fun. We just, mm -hmm. I can ask her to help me with the bathroom every time during quiet time. So you're just making it as like little stimulation as possible. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean for me, it doesn't mean I'm over there like ignoring, like you're talking and I'm like, I can't hear you. Mm -hmm. It was more, for me, it's just like, I'm limiting the feedback that they're getting during this whole time. So it's not rewarding for them. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. my kids now know, they just don't like, just do your own thing. If you have a problem and you like made something into a knot with your little string that you're playing with, figure it out or set it to the side and after quiet time, I'll help you. But like, yeah. they just now know it's not a time. That's like the one, the one time during the day where it's like, we're doing our own things here. And I think it's really good for them because they learn problem solving. This isn't neglect. This is teaching them problem solving, giving them the chance for their own imaginary play. My thing, something that I love so much about my children is that they can with i mean we'll be somewhere sometimes and like my five-year-old will be and he'll have like a little rock in his hand and he'll just be like you know like you can tell he is in his own world and i've had people places well they'll be like how does he do that and i'm like because he practices every day <laughs> you know what i mean mm -hmm. just allowing them to know that it's a gift that you're giving them to teach them and again all of this stuff is not from a place of frustration or anger or anything like that it's just you're just setting a boundary of we all need time to ourselves mm -hmm. and so we're just we're just creating that space and being like okay about it you know so mm -hmm. that would be my only tip my main tip is you say words when he says things to you but you keep them really minimal so that they're not rewarding for him and he'll just learn oh that's not very rewarding i think i like playing with my ball a lot better so mm -hmm. i'm gonna do that more yeah and it's not a perfect system i want to acknowledge carolyn i don't know um how Lydia was as a toddler, but I have like been here through a little of Savannah's toddler and your boys toddler ages. And they are both Parker and Liam, I would say are more, um, what's the right word? Like a little more type two personality or a little more like, like I've never seen Parker or Liam like super f like get really loud and like kind of like freak out ish. Maybe they do to you, but I haven't seen it. But I I know that Emmett and my Cohen are are both type threes, which their like motion is really like big and forward and loud. And like I remember when trying to teach Cohen quiet time, it was like if he's happy, he's loud. And if he wants something, he's really like intense and loud. And mm -hmm. so, like, I remember this like frustration of like, I'm giving you zero stimulation, but you're really pushing back with like a really like 
intense or like big energy and it's riling me up. I'm afraid the baby's going to get woken up. Yeah. And so you almost feel this depression moment of like, I feel like I almost have to give in to you because where we're taking this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrorist situation. Yeah. <laughs> trying to de-escalate. And so, and you probably did experience, I just don't, I'm not saying that you didn't have that with your boys. I just don't, I haven't, I've seen that with Emmett a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing that helped me was I remember specifically times where I had, and it's hard in the winter, but when, now that it's summer, I had to take him outside and I would just sit on the porch and like read or write in my journal, but he could be thrashing about things. And it removed mostly the waking up the baby, like, yeah scarcity feeling I would start to feel yeah mm. yeah I don't know if that's helpful if anyone's having a loud toddler yeah because yeah. that is the hard thing is that like he'll be like it's not even like he's like upset but he'll be like mommy like calling to me <laughs> and yeah and he's and his room is next to the baby's room so then I'm like well if the baby wakes up then my quiet time is over no matter like just because even though the baby's easy it's like I still am gonna feed him I'm probably gonna change his diaper you know like then it, it just shortens my time of like, if I do want to take a nap, then that's over. I don't know. So I think the other thing is too, we do now, we finish our basement. We do have a toy room down there. And so I've started to try to do more of our quiet time down there. Cause then I worry less about like, if he's too loud, cause even it's not even like he's like crying, but he's just calling to me loudly or whatever, or like, you know, banging, banging things, not even destructively, but it's just like being loud. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But I think it's cause he knows if he's up in his room, I'll come and be like, hey, like, remember, be kind of quiet. So I think I probably need to take out some of the the things where it's like, so it's more of a yes space. Like, I don't feel like I need to be like, hey, be a little quieter or whatever, because then he knows I am going to come in and like be there in some way. I'm sure that hasn't helped. So I think I'm, I am excited that it's warmer outside because then I can hopefully make that more of a space that it's like he can also just be out there and there's not really any boundaries that I have to set. He can just be, you know? Yeah. Those are really good points. And I think something to remember with all of this is, I mean, it's good. It's all good stuff and it's valuable, but we have all been there for me. Mostly I can picture times where the baby's sleeping and I'm so tired and I just, and I just wanted a nap and I can't, you know, I can't take one because whatever. And somebody, you know, they're crying or whatever. So, it's there are times where it's just really you know what I mean there are times where you're like this just isn't working today you know what I mean and that's okay this is not like a I don't want anybody to leave this conversation thinking all three of our children I mean all three of us just have like these serene amazing zen experiences every afternoon because that's not how it is it's more just like we're trying to create a space keep a space and I mean I don't even have them any like for me in my life right now Sundays are the only days we even have I mean, but Sundays, Sundays we do, and all my kids are home and they're all still used to doing it. But I mean, it doesn't really apply to us as much anymore, except for there are, there actually are times where I'm like, hey, I'm going to be working on something with Liam home. And I'll be like, hey, it's free play time for you. And it's work time for me, which is fine. But I just want everybody out there to just give yourself a little bit of grace here of it's, I think it's worth shooting for quiet time, setting that time aside. It's a real sanity saver when it works. But just know that there are frustrating times and there are kids times your kids are loud and there are times where you just got woken up like three minutes into your nap. That's the worst. It is it's the almost worst. worth not going to sleep at all. <laughs> it is right? the worst. So when you have babies and you're waking up in the night, like it's it's an it's like an energy management situation. And so I just want to give you a little empathy that yeah, sometimes you might have toddlers that are a little loud and 
I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Felicia, because all toddlers are different. And again, quiet time was the hardest with my first. Totally. It was way harder with my first than with all the rest of my kids. So. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I think this is helpful. And it actually does give me a little bit of some direction, some hope with quiet time today. I'm going to practice, you know, I'm going to think about some of this stuff. And yeah, honestly, I think too, I'm excited to be like what we talked about with being more present in the certain situations. Cause then I also wonder if I am, and, and that's not to say, I think just more, if I'm being more mindful about being present in those situations, I also can see that even affecting, you know, affecting the quiet time. Cause then he feels like he got the full attention when we were together. And that's not to say, I think there still will be some of that interruption stuff. I'm not saying that it will completely solve it. But I do think that theme of the being fully present when we choose to be can only help in those situations. So this has all been so helpful. Yes. All right, guys. That was so fun. We we love your listener questions. They're so good. They inspire all of these themes. So keep sending them. Leave them in a review or send send them to us on Instagram at find the magic podcast. All right, let's find the magic. I can't, I'm like, I was going to push it off. I can't guys. That was great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you guys. Don't, don't get off yet. Wait, 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 yep. wait, 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 wait.